0: The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Speedball Mike Bailey. You're listening to Keeping It Strong Style.
1: Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the ace of podcasts. Keeping you it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcast. Keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the Young Boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Frost. From the Falls from Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is a network where we can get it done. I'ma chill and let them have it, cause this is just an intro. Keeping it strong style. Six stars from the get go, boy. Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo. On. This is Keeping It Strong Style with your host Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of Podcast on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith On today's show we'll discuss New Japan Cup and cover all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex podcast network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our wrestling tees store, wrestlingtees.com slash Suplex. That's where you can get your official keeping it strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping Strong Style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, Custom and share plus, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, should people be allowed to bet on wrestling? Listen, wrestling
0: isn't wrestling unless people are allowed to gamble on said wrestling, okay? Because otherwise, what the fuck are we doing?
1: I don't know. It's just, it's just watching watching wrestling without, without any stakes.
0: That's bullshit. Okay, listen. <laughs> the, the history of professional wrestling is entirely predicated on the idea of the workers and the promoters being able to swindle money out of the mark-ass viewers who think that they're smart they're not smart and you do that by putting the fix in with the house and taking everybody's money and then moving on to the next town before anybody realizes what you've done (laughs) that's what wrestling is it's the one thing that's been missing from wrestling and i for one am glad that they're bringing this back to the forefront you know much in the tradition of our forefathers like frank gotch
1: (laughs) you know back to the carnival days the back to the roots
0: You know what they used to do, Jeremy, sometimes like uh, this is just one trick amongst many, many tricks, but they would do something like this. Like they would go to a town carnival days and they would have a challenge and the challenge and they'd put a real shooter in there. Right. And the challenge would be something along the lines of like, if any man or any woman or whatever in this town can last, let's say, five minutes with our champion will pay them X amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. So they'd have a, everyone keep trying and they can't do it. And then they have a plant in the crowd and the plant is part of the wrestling troupe, but they make it seem like he's a local kid. You know what I mean?
1: Like when we saw Kylan King in the crowd. Yeah. Like when <laughs> we saw
0: Kylan King in the crowd. She was a plant. And then what happens is, is after a few people can't do it, they send the kid in there. You know, they, they think he's a no hoper or whatever. Maybe he's really jacked. Who knows? But. Gets in there and guess what? He lasts the five minutes. Not only does he last the five minutes, but he puts the champion in trouble towards the, the bottom of the stretch. So after the five minutes is up, the champion basically, you know, is angry, cuts a promo, and says, and, you know, they're paying the kid. And as the kid's walking out with his prize money, they say, whoa, 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 whoa. Come back here on Wednesday. We're gonna do this again. This time it's gonna be a real Two out of three falls, blah, blah, blah. Now everybody's like, oh, my God. And then they start gambling. And guess what? Whichever side the the, the people think is, and usually it's the, the the hometown kid. That's where the good odds are. That's where <laughs> people put the money in. Then. And then guess what? The promoters and the wrestlers, and they all think that, by the way, they think that this is a legitimate sporting contest, they, like UFC. It's like betting on the UFC is what they think they're doing. hmm and then they turn around and they put huge amounts of money on the champion and guess why because the whole thing's a fix anyways it's a work it's a hippodrome as it's as it was known back in those days and they make money hand over fist and they take all that money and before anybody wises up to what they did including the police and the sporting commissions and yada yada they move on to the next town nobody's the wiser and they would do this All year round. That's what wrestling is.
1: Yeah. I mean, a business full of carnies um, still still is to this day.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. My only thing, and I guess I don't know why we're talking about it, because it doesn't really pertain to New Japan. But, you know, since you brought it up, the only thing that might be good about it is the idea that, like, WWE and Vince McMahon and them would have to hypothetically Pick a booking decision and stick to it, and they couldn't deviate or change their plans one way or the other whatsoever.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, no more the you know the plans change, pal. Like they have to kind of be locked in, or else people are going to be on the up and getting get on the betting, and you're going to have creative team guys and wrestlers all you know switching their bets the last minute.
0: <laughs> but with all of the, um, you know, a there would be leaks no matter what. B there would be changes. See, there would be fraud. Like this whole thing just seems rife with, uh, too many, like, you know, issues. I just don't, I think it would fail one way or the other. So, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> enough about, uh, betting and what's going on in, uh, WWE let's talk about uh new Japan pro wrestling, have this uh new Japan cup tournament that's been, uh, going on and, in- uh, we had a question uh, from Rambone Slam Pig, and I want to give a, a big uh, shout-out and congrats to Rambone Slam Pig, got married uh, this past weekend. Uh, Rambones has been supporting the show from the, pretty much the very beginning, so a uh, shout-out and congrats to on this marriage.
0: Congratulations, Rambone Slam Pig. I mean, I've said this before. I don't know what the listeners look like most of the time, and in my mind, like, when I hear that name Rambone Slam Pig, I still think he's one of the bad guys from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Because <laughs> just, I don't know, that name just sounds like that to me. But I'm, but he has been, in all honesty, one of the most supportive listeners that we have for this podcast and the show. So congratulations to you on your marriage. And, um you know, best wishes, best luck, and uh, all the good things in life.
1: Yeah, so uh, he asked us, and it's kind of, Trailing, kind of catching up from last week's uh, New Japan Cup matches. He says, Yujiro versus Shota was dreadful. I don't think Yujiro is the right veteran to work with a promising young wrestler who is trying to get their feet under them and put it all together. Who on the roster do you think best fits that sort of role currently?
0: Um, That's a great question. I would probably say... probably Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's some good answers you could definitely throw out there. I mean, I think Will is a guy who elevates almost anybody he works with. But for me, if we're talking about like the aged veteran that can teach the kids and really push them and, and bring out the best in them, I feel like it's still Ishii's, like the guy that, that fits that role the best. Maybe Nagata.
1: Yeah, I will say yeah, Ishii and Nagata are probably, you know, number one, two. You can throw in Satoshi Kojima. Um, You can throw, I think even Hanma at times um, could be that good hand to work with a young guy.
0: Speaking of which, bro, I'm going to throw this a little hot. This is off subject, but this is a little hot take. Tomowaki Hanma, candidate for most improved in 2023. What? I'm not joking. You think I'm joking? I'm not joking at all. Have you been watching any of these undercards?
1: No, I've been mainly watching the tournament matches.
0: Hanma is... He'll never be what he was prior to the injury, but compared to what he was when he first got back, and I know it's been periodic, like he's just been like, you know, increasingly getting better and better. I'm at the point now where I feel confident to say Tomo Hamas is good again. Mm. Tomo Akihama is good. He's very good. And I think he's a candidate for most improved this year.
1: All right, well, we'll put it down, see if it continues throughout the year. I mean, we saw the death match last year, that uh, the tag match, and he was awesome in that match. And he's kind of had these kind of flashes of brilliance um, throughout the year since he's returned from injury, where it's like, man, like he's almost back to what he was before. Or kind of these great, you know, really, you know, underdog performances.
0: He's doing something. I don't know if he's on the gas or if he's got like a credit. <laughs> you
1: know,
0: I don't know what I don't know what the deal is, but he, he's back.
1: This reminds me of uh, the BTE with uh, Lethal and uh, Cody. Dream like, you on the gas. Uh.
0: Like, dream you look so good there, brother. You on the gas?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, also, I think uh, Suzuki is another good guy. That's kind of yeah. uh, age veteran that could really you know handle and really teach a young guy in the ring
0: here's the thing and i guess th- this is the the more pressing thing who in new japan isn't a good veteran that can't lead someone to a good match and i feel like you know yujiro's on the very short list of individuals who probably fit that that mold you know what i mean mm-hmm. and here's the thing uh, I can even take that back. I think almost all the veterans have something to offer. Like, let's say if they're working with Lions, right? That's Mm -hmm. something different. But someone coming back from Excursion that you're trying to establish as a top guy and you're putting them in main event spots, you know, you don't want to put them in there with a Ujiro or a Fale or, you know, Naito. Uh, (laughs) 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 You know, there's just, there's certain guys who just, you know, it's not going to work with them.
1: Yeah. Well, let's move on to uh, some questions here from uh, Deaf Triangle Seven Twenty. He says, "How do you feel about the tour so far, and how do you feel about it compared to last year?"
0: Very, very interesting. I- I'm a little mixed, to be honest with you. So this is what I've been doing, Jeremy. Um, today was like a marathon session of like it- it's it's been kind of crazy. Like I've been. Oh, man, I like I, I don't want to ramble too much, but I have so much to say. Uh, <laughs> I feel like Stone Cold Steve Austin for the first time in my life. OK, <laughs> and what I mean by that is I remember growing up and like the things I liked about Stone Cold was how badass he was and everything. But the thing that never resonated with me the way it did with most of middle America was him sticking it to his bosses but I understand why that resonated now because I feel oppressed by my job and I'm trying to push back on them as much as I fucking can right now. (laughs) (laughs) So without going into a lot of detail, I'm maxing out my OT. Um, And along the way, not only did I have a busy, busy, busy work day, but we had this podcast and I've been behind on new Japan cup. So it was like a marathon of like getting all my work done. And trying to squeeze in like the last three or four nights of New Japan Cup today. So it's been, it's been kind of exhausting. But um as far as the tour goes, it is mixed because I if we were just grading it in terms of a tour, I think the tour is going really well for a lot of reasons. Uh, but it kind of depends on whether or not you're ingesting the undercards or not. I'm playing those on like two X speed just to kind of get a feel for what's going on. Plus it helps me when I'm like working, I don't have to pay attention to those matches quite as much. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot going on. Not like, because a, obviously we're out of the pandemic. So that's a plus over the last couple of years, uh, tournaments. Um, B we got cheering crowds. We've got a lively environment. We've got, uh, Kevin Kelly and friends on, you know, the call most nights. And then They're doing a really great job on the undercards building to the different feuds that are going on, whether it's Leo Rush versus Hiromu, the Bullet Club turmoil with ELP and David Finley, or even like the tag team um, issue that's coming up between Bishamon and Aussie Open, and all that stuff's really good on the undercard. Combining that with all the preview tags that they sort of just have peppered in this is something we've always said is really good about, say, like the G1. They're doing it with New Japan Cup where it's like it's not the same. You know, the undercards don't just feel like uh, superfluous, you know, meaningless, you know, uh, exercises in futility. Like they actually have a purpose. They have a story and they're doing a really good job previewing the different things that are, that are uh, occurring throughout the tournament. So from that standpoint, it's very good. And I would even say the tournament itself is a mixed bag. There's some matches that haven't been great, but there have been some that have really exceeded expectations. But I would say if you're one of those individuals who are just tuning in strictly for tournament matches and that's and you're trying to scratch that New Japan great match itch that you probably started to get a hankering for around Wrestle Kingdom time, This probably isn't doing it for you the way that some of the tournaments in the past have. Again, not to say there hasn't been some quality here, but I would say right now, compared to like last year's tournament, I think the actual tournament matches themselves are underperforming, comparatively speaking.
1: Yeah, and you know, for me, I, I too also had um, a very uh, busy weekend I had a work trip in uh, Clemson, South Carolina uh, Friday, Saturday, didn't get back till Sunday And then Sunday uh, was my wife's birthday And uh, doing stuff uh, on Sunday and Monday for her birthday So uh, that left me in a spot where, yeah, I was just kind of having to watch uh, all the tournament matches um, So that's for me, I, yeah, I've pretty much just been Focus on the the tournament matches, kind of skip through the undercard stuff, and so yeah. Compared to last year, as as you mentioned, somebody who's just watching the tournament matches, I would say last year from a in ring quality has is, is ahead of this year. But there still has been some really good matches. I mean, you, you think last year, you know, you, you had Will Osprey, Zach Sabre Jr. In, in the quarterfinals of the tournament, right. and it, we haven't really gotten that. And that was like almost like a five-star match. We haven't gotten that yet at this stage in the tournament. We're just now kind of you know, crossing into the quarterfinals with the shows that um, happened this past week. And so we really haven't gotten that big match of the year contender, or this big, you know, great matchup that everybody's talking about yet.
0: I would also say this. Um, compared to my expectations on paper from when we previewed the tournament, there are multiple matches that have exceeded what I was expecting just in general. So I am somewhat pleasantly surprised that some of these matches will, we'll get into the review here, but some of them have been much better than I anticipated. But again, when we were doing the review, it's something I brought up multiple times. I was like, there aren't, there isn't on paper a lot of uh, exponentially great matches. It would seem, uh, they've, they've kind of, um, over delivered on that, but you know, initially that's not what I was thinking it was going to look like at the same time. There are some pretty important narratives and stories that are being carried out throughout the tournament. And that's nice, but some of it is surrounding characters and individuals that I'm kind of second guessing and questioning whether they deserve the added extra attention that they're getting right now, as opposed to some of the other members of the roster, Mm -hmm. So again, like I said, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. And then the other thing too, is when, when the matches are bad, they are bad. (laughs) They've been pretty bad. Yeah. Although even, you know what? I'll say this too. I think here's what I think. I don't think most of this has been as bad as the scores that you would see on cage match would lead you to believe. Mm. And I know that I'm sounding like a new Japan shill by saying that right now, but I feel like after five, almost six years of doing this podcast and the voice that we have in the community, I've earned enough and we have earned enough like reputation to be able to kind of give a little bit of a deferring hot take and still have some credibility. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, Yeah. Cause it's not something we do very often, but I'll say this for instance, The evil matches. Now, I'm not going to tell you, go out there and watch them, that they're really, really good, but the the grades they're getting are like 4 and 3 and yada, yada. And the reality is I don't think they're that bad. Most of them I would probably be giving a solid 3-star, maybe just sub 3-star, and that's not me advocating for them in any way. But I think that there's an outrage right now where people want New Japan to be back the way that they've always – envisioned new japan i think that there's like a um what is a romanticizing of what new japan was even during its peak quote unquote you know what i mean during like 2018 2016 2015 years people act like this element in new japan didn't exist and wasn't a huge part of the company's booking and it always has been I mean, yes, House of Torture is very egregious, but before it was House of Torture, it was Bullet Club. And before Bullet Club, it was Suzuki-Goon. And before Suzuki-Goon, it was LIJ. And before LIJ, it was Chaos. And before that, it was Great Bash Heel. This has always been a thing, that there are top heels that literally only win by cheating and having tons of run-ins and tons of rep bumps. And, you know, it's sort of a thing. It's like this trope that we've always, like, discussed but people are getting sick of it. And Mm. I think that even though the matches themselves are fine, there's a swing in the other direction where people are like, we don't want... And same thing with like Yano comedy. There's like a very vocal group that are like, we don't want (laughs) the House of (laughs) Torture shit and we don't want the Yano shit. And so they're just going to downvote and downgrade anything they have, even when I think the matches are probably... You know, they're nothing that you need to go out of your way to watch if you're, you know, cherry picking, but they're not as bad as these four and three star scores or I'm sorry, like, you know, the cage match scores, which is like a four is like a two and like a a two is like a one. And I don't think that they've been that bad, honestly.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been, I think, probably difficult for people who want that kind of high quality Because, you know, you come off Wrestle Kingdom, off the, the Kenny and Will stuff All the great matches happened there yep. you, you roll into New Beginning, the Okada Shingo stuff And there were some other great matches, the Hiromu Yo There were some great matches on that tour And then even uh, Battle in the Valley, once the production got, got fixed There were some great matches there as well And mm-hmm. so I think people are kind of like on a roll and want that to continue and they're not quite getting that with New Japan Cup, but also, too, you got to think back on the, the history of the New Japan Cup. This tournament has not always been about great matches or let's have the most right. great matches. That That's more of a G1 kind of thing. With the New Japan Cup, it's more of let, let's build somebody, let's create a story, a narrative, let's get the guy, let's put a rocket on somebody and tell the story and build this person up for a potential title match down the line. Yeah, not only does it generally build up uh new title challengers it usually creates
0: new storyline elements for the you know second quarter of the year and you're absolutely right when you say it's not just about you know being this all-star tournament the way that the g1 you know round robin climaxes Mm -hmm. um but at the same time you kind of do have to question should it be like if like for instance last year they were Almost every, you know, they had the largest field they ever had, and you could easily predict where the tournament was going because they just had all the stars meet in the middle, and and that was a, a huge um, different. Like, you know, that was a a break with what they have typically done with this tournament with the way it's booked, and this year seems to fall a lot more in line with classic New Japan booking when it comes to the New Japan Cup, where. There are upsets and there are, you know, some stars, but there's a lot of young, fresh talent that are getting, you know, new title opportunities and new looks and everything like that. But uh, at the same time, I do think that New Japan is in a bit of a transition phase. You know, there's people, including this podcast, but other smart individuals that have been saying for a while now that there is a transitionary period taking place in the company where, and you can see it, we've got new groups, new factions forming. Um, dissension amongst groups, people leaving the company, uh, different people moving into uh, different roles within the the company as well. And so I am wondering if some of these wrestlers that we're used to seeing go at a certain level are not able to necessarily do that or do that as often. And then at the same time, you're bringing in a lot of young, fresh uh, guys from Excursion who haven't quite had those same experiences yet so there's also a learning curve that way and so we're we're very much transitioning into a whole new era of new japan and i i'm not saying that people need to i don't want to like discredit their frustration with the company because i think some of that's valid and Mm. some of the things i'm bringing up are probably uh, things that the company needs to evaluate and try to overcome if they're going to capitalize on this uh, renewed interest in the company coming out of Wrestle Kingdom, but at the same time, it is a, it is a bit of a reality in that like they've got an aging, declining roster and young, fresh-faced talent that haven't gone through the same kind of um, you know ring experiences that uh, someone like say Tomohiro Ishii or Hiroshi Tanahashi had, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. You know, we talk we've been talking about it with you know all the guys that could be featured that are not, like all the LA Dojo guys. Like there's a, a ton of guys that you could easily replace somebody like a, a Utero with a Alex Coglin or a Clark Connors or somebody like that and easily end up having a, a much better tournament.
0: That's true, but then again, it's uh it's a cost benefit, you know, it's a you have to weigh the pros and the cons when it comes to something like that. So let's say you do put let's we'll use the the individual that you chose alex Coughlin, who we are both very high on we you know really like the guy a lot and you put him in there and he's going to come in for one night to replace ujiro and he's going to lose to um you know to shota umino that would be a really awesome opportunity for him But it's one match, and then you have to use him the rest of the tour in undercard tag matches. And I don't know if the benefit of paying for him to come out all the way from America, just for him to have one match, one sub-15-minute match with Shota Umino just to eat a loss, is going to be beneficial to that level for them you know what i mean
1: yeah i guess and also yeah you're looking at the the business versus entertainment side of thing yeah so from an entertainment uh factor yes Coughlin versus Umino would definitely be more entertaining than Umino versus Yujiro but yeah from the business side is it cost effective yeah to fly out some of these la dojo guys to have them potentially just lose in the first round and they're in a bunch of undercard tags the rest of the tour Mm -hmm. Um, is that worth the cost where where you can just save money use a guy like Yujiro who's in japan he's in the country he probably has a, a better contract deal than some of these um la dojo guys and so it's probably a cost-saving me- measure there
0: right like we don't know what the we're not privy to their contracts and dates but it's like you already have you Drew. you probably have to pay him uh so i mean you probably have to use him because of that reason as well so i don't know i mean uh would i love for them to bring in a Gabe kid or or what have you even like so a filthy tom guys, lawler yeah filthy tom or something and put them in the tournament yeah but then we would be complaining i mean that's why we call them pin eaters there has to be guys that are in the tournament that are designed to to take the losses early on and can afford to do it mm-hmm. but but at the same time you want those matches to be good at, as well so it, it's a delicate balancing act and um At the end of the day, I did, I mean, yes, there was a lot of flack that was given to Shota Umino for that performance against Yujiro. We reviewed it last week, but I, I do think he's doing really well in the multi-man matches and on Mm -hmm. the undercards. And that's something that he's been excelling at the entire time since he returned. And, um, you know, I think it's one of those things again, where it's like, if you're, I don't want to say a casual fan because I don't know how many people that are tuning in for these types of matches are quote-unquote casuals. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: there is a difference between just cherry-picking certain tournament matches versus if you're actually watching the product as a whole. Mm-hmm. And there are people that are ready to already write off to Umino based off the Yujiro match and based off the Naito match. And I get why. But I still think there's a lot of upside with the kid from what I'm seeing on the undercards, and I mean, look at where we're at with Watto now. Just yeah. now, two years into the into the Watto experience, maybe two and a half, I don't know, maybe three. He's just now starting to come into his own, and I'm not saying it should take that long for someone like, uh, you know, Umino, but. It's not something that happens overnight as much as we'd all like it to be. Not everybody that returns from excursion is Hiromu Takahashi. Those are rare.
1: Yeah. and I think the the, the tough thing for uh, Umino is he's really under a magnifying glass here. I mean, they gave him the the big push. He has the, the Tanahashi, Naito, John Moxley look. Like, he has so many top stars that he's compared to and people want him to be like of course he's not hitting the mark being a a Tanahashi or a Naito or even a John Moxley right now. And he's still trying to figure things out, kind of trying to, you know, come into his own. And I think he's doing very good. And so, but people want him to be great. They want him to be throwing out five star matches. They want him to be the next coming. They want him to be the next ace. And, Maybe he won't be the next ace, we don't know But he's definitely not there yet, but he is progressing Like you said, in these multi-man matches He has a lot of fire, he's looking mm. really good And we'll talk about the him and um, Narita against Tanahashi and Okada I thought he was right. really good in that match as well You go back to some of the, the Osprey matches Of course it's Osprey still, I thought he did his, his load in those matches Especially the... Uh, the November match uh, from last year from a store crossover. So I thought he looked really good in that match also. One
0: one thing the company's doing really well, though, is they're taking these def- these noticeable deficiencies. And Kevin Kelly specifically, I don't know if it's a directive from the company or not, but it, it seems to be in the booking that they're telling this story. And he seems also to be highlighting it as well as Chris Charlton. And they're doing a fantastic job is explaining how he has every You know, the the old reference, he has all the tools, tools. (laughs) but he's falling short right now. And he's, but in these matches, he's doing everything in his power to try and overcome this perception to prove that he's really a top guy, even if right now he's not. You know Mm, what I mean? Yeah. And again, I mean, I don't, I definitely think that there are. Issues somewhat with New Japan's way of promoting and booking talent. I think that they sometimes definitely drag their feet and miss the mark on certain guys by being too um, conservative when it comes to elevation. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that already with Narita and Umino. And it makes me a little hesitant for when they're going to bring back other guys that are like Suji and Yumura and stuff like that. But with that being said, there is precedent in the past. You look at Tanahashi and his trajectory, and, I mean, it was always clear that the company had high hopes for him and, and big plans, but he had many a fall and many a stumbling block before he became Hiroshi Tanahashi, living legend, guy that's going to save the universe. The company, ace of the universe, once in the century talent. Like, that's not who he was for many, many years many years in this company yeah you know you know
1: you watch some of those recommended matches from back in the day and those crowds were booing him sometimes depending on who he was facing he was not as over as you would think that he was back in the day when he was up and coming even in the wrestle kingdom 3
0: feud with muto Mm -hmm. which probably was his real true coronation crowd was split (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) you know so i mean I don't. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that everything with Shota Umino is for sure going to work out. We don't know, but um, I think that people that are uh, speaking his demise are maybe a little too short sighted. Oh, and yeah. Maybe they'll maybe they'll be right, but I mean, I wouldn't take I wouldn't bet on that just yet.
1: Yeah. Uh, so moving on, question from Grunty Dodd. This is on commentary this week. It was revealed that Kevin Kelly. Hates the term banger when referring to a good match. Hanare agrees with him, but Jeff Cobb likes the word. Where does keeping it strong style fall in this debate?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I saw Kevin kind of um, give his greater explanation on this, and he doesn't necessarily like to adopt terms that just fall into the popular zeitgeist, you know, things that are overused become like too cliche you know and he doesn't want to be a cliche he doesn't want to sound like everybody else so that's kind of his reasoning but we say we say banger on this show pretty often but i i don't know i don't i don't really i've never thought negative one way or the other i mean i honestly i feel like we borrow pretty liberally from people that influence us and you know different individuals that we listen to when it comes to talking about wrestling and um you know, just discussing wrestling within certain terminologies.
1: Yeah, yeah. We've used the term lots of times on this show and I don't know. It's just something that became popular and, you know, you just hear other people say it, you say it. And so yeah, it's just kind of something that's become kind of part of the, the modern day, you know, wrestling reviewer lingo. Um and so yeah, I mean I have uh no issues uh with the word and but I do understand uh, Kevin Kelly's standpoint on it And yeah not kind of wanting to just kind of blend In with the crowd and to kind of uh, Stand out but yeah I would Say uh, uh, keeping a strong style is uh, Pro uh, the word banger For uh, describing a good Matchup uh, Next question from the Dark soldier he says I think the best announced duel has been Settled Excalibur and Taz Nah Ian Ricabani and Caprice Coleman Nah Michael Cole, and Pat McAfee? Nah, it's Kevin Kelly and Jeff Cobb. Would you agree? I learned so much from Cobb on commentary. He's a wise man.
0: (laughs) I don't know what he's referring to specifically (laughs) when it comes to Jeff. Um, But I did think Jeff was very good on commentary, which, and I don't want this to sound, um, I don't know what the right word is. I don't want this to sound negative. Mm-hmm. But Jeff has a reputation as not being necessarily the best promo.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, we mentioned on on the show before when he cut some of those backstage promos.
0: Right, and sometimes they're they're good and other times they are kind of missing the mark, but when he was on commentary, he was really incredible. Um I think he's one of the best commentators they've ever had, honestly, when it comes to wrestlers making that transition. Mm-hmm. Um much I mean I like uh, compared to Hanare and um uh who was the other one
1: uh had, Chase which, Owens
0: I'm just tired yeah uh com- and I thought Chase was okay too but compared to Chase and Hanare which I, there was something wrong with Hanare's mic it was like super low you could barely hear him
1: I, I don't know if the mic was super low or he was just super low I don't know yeah I guess if he's not screaming <laughs>
0: <laughs> um but yeah uh, Cobb was hilarious
1: yeah um We're used to Chase Owens I think Chase is great Like he just has these great like one liners But yeah Cobb I thought really did well And really kind of stood out among this uh, trio of guys That were rotating in and out for uh, this tour But yeah Cobb he showed a lot of personality He was hilarious And um, you know I think if he kind of leaned in more to this You know commentary personality in some of his promos I think it would kind of help elevate some of the promos that that he does well, uh, now let's uh, start talking about uh, this past week's uh, tournament action here. So uh, we're picking up from night three. This was March 8th on the undercard. We had uh, Shoto Umino and Yuto Nakashima defeating the TMDK team of Kosei Vegeta and Zack Sabre Jr. Had the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens, David Finley, El and Kenta defeating just four guys. Uh, we have a question here from Green Plasma underscore 49. Why is Riley Vigor known as El Fantasmo despite being Canadian and never having wrestled in Mexico?
0: I, I think he was a masked luchador.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm not. I only know him from Rev Pro. I haven't looked and see what he's done before that.
0: Yeah, he's got a lucha de puestas uh, record um, where he had a mask so oh well there we go yeah it'd be like it'd be like why is uh i don't know what Sami Zayn's real name is but
1: uh el like, generico it's like why <laughs> is he why,
0: why was he known as el generico when he's canadian and he's never wrestled in mexico <laughs> to the best of my knowledge it's like he's el generico bro he's el fantasma that's why yeah. yeah you know what are you talking about it's wrestling <laughs>
1: yeah. uh why
0: why is my nickname the young boy i'm not a young boy <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, uh, also, with, with this matchup here, we got the, kind of the, the first uh, interactions with Bull Club, teaming up with David Finley. Um, ELP has not seemed down uh, with uh, Finley being a part of the group, and there's been a lot of, um, you know, miscommunications with, between them and just kind of, you know, him not really falling in line with what, you know, Finley's doing.
0: Yeah, night after night, there's definitely tension. They keep trying to get the team to cohesively come together and do the two suites which he's very reticent to do that. Um, there was a moment where one of the nights, Kevin Kelly was able to actually ask El Fantasma what the deal is. And he said that there was an agreement amongst the Bullet Club members that they weren't going to jump Jay White out of the group. They were going to let him ride off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Finley came out and jumped him. And then now he's part of the Bullet Club and and then uh you know that kind of led kevin kelly to be like but he wasn't part of the agreement because he wasn't a member of the bullet club so why how are you going to be mad at him for doing that which begs the question was there an agreement afoot between you know most likely let's say gato and david finley prior to him jumping um jay white or or did they struck a de- did they strike a deal after He made his move on Jay, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and uh, you know the, and that's kind of the crux of what ELP seems to be bothered by because he's like things are fishy. I don't know what the timeline. He's like you know I don't know. (laughs) It's like when um when when you know people are are dating and then they break up and then one of the people finds a new boyfriend and you're like that was or a girlfriend or whatever and you're like that was a little too quick. A little (laughs) too quick. I feel like there might have been some overlap.
1: All right, yeah.
0: And that's kind of what's... Basically, David Finley is the new boyfriend for, for Gato, <laughs> And it seems like there might be some overlap between David Finley and Jay White. It's mm-hmm. hard to tell. But yeah. that... And, and EOP's very suspicious about this. And I, I also think he's probably somewhat taken aback and, and angry because, you know, not only are the ideals of, of Bullet Club in question, but he seemed poised to be the next leader and that you know now is very much in question
1: yeah and even uh chase owens on commentary he was like yeah yeah we had the agreement but yeah finley's not there it was not there he's like it's like i don't care i'm team bullet club like I, i'm i don't care about you know civil war like i'm with dave finley because he's bullet club because i'm bullet club and so yeah chase is you know like in every civil war Chase is kind of playing it down the middle just kind of sticking that's chase- not true well, yeah, I know the first one, he was kind of with the elite because they jumped him out, but, I mean, he, he went right back he was, with them <laughs> He was
0: team elite until he wasn't elite enough to be with the elite.
1: <laughs> uh, Same
0: thing with Ujiro.
1: <laughs> but for the most part, Chase is just wanting a check. Like, he just wants that bull club merch money. He's not trying to, you know, stir the pot. He's like, you know, if I, if I got to be with Finley, I'll, I'll be with Finley. I don't care.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's one, there's one point where they were talking to Chase. They said something about, like, uh, I don't know, he was supporting one of the team members to, maybe it was Kent or someone to, like, go on a singles run. They're like, what about you? He's like, you want me to work in a, in a singles match? She's like, come on, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'd much rather tag. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, following that, we had uh, Aaron Ara and Great Okan defeating Bushi and Chingo Takagi. Then we had Hiromu, Sonata, and Naito defeating Leo Rush, Tama Tonga, and Tomioka Hanma. And then we had Jeff Cobb, Kyle Fletcher, and Will Ospreay defeating Hiroki Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi, which brought us to the two tournament matches on this evening. First, we had Mark Davis of Aussie Open defeating Toriano 12 minutes and 33 seconds.
0: Yes, this went um, about 12 minutes, 33 seconds. (laughs) Is that what you just said?
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) I don't know why I'm... Again, I'm tired. (laughs) Um, Yeah, 12 minutes for uh, a Toriano comedy match in 2023, I think is probably too long. You know what I mean? Um, Again, I will go on record. This match has a four star or four out of 10 rating on cage match, which basically equates to a two or sub, maybe even lower than two star match. Mm -hmm. I just don't think this was this bad, that bad. Um, from like, for what it actually was. I I feel like, again, I think it really depends on what your uh, tastes are as it pertains to Toriyano comedy. But I mean, I think back to that all-star junior show that we just recently watched and they had that like hentai match. That's something that was like two stars or below, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Comparatively, this was fine. Like, I mean, if you, if, if, Uh, Yano comedy isn't your shtick. I get it. I feel like he, again, is one of those guys similar in line to Yujiro that can eat a pinfall and be fine. Conversely, if you need to use him to set up an upset, he's the the trickster god and he can get away with that. We all kind of know what his matches are going to be. This wasn't like the most... I've seen some really, really egregious Yano matches in my time. This was not one of them. I, this was, it wasn't great either. I'm not going to like advocate for it and say you should go out of your way. I definitely think 12 minutes was way too prolonged and probably why there's so much blowback on this. But I got to tell you, Jeremy, I was just glad to see Mark Davis pick up the W because we thought he was going to be slotted in that Chucky e. T or British Bulldog sort of spot where he gets upset by Yano and. I, I'm glad that didn't happen here.
1: Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised that Mark Davis got the win here because, yeah, it seemed like, oh, there's no way they're going to do Mark Davis versus Will Ospreay in the next round. So it definitely seemed like, yeah, Yano's going to get the banana peel kind of win. And here, you know, we got all the, the the Yano gimmicks here. He, you know, he tied Davis to the, uh, or he tied Fletcher to the guard who was on the outside. Then he was trying to tie Davis up. He was hiding under uh, the ring. So, you know, they trying They both
0: to- went under the ring at one point. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was funny. Uh, And if you don't like that comedy, I mean, I'm not going to try and sell you on it. I get it why people don't like it. I also sometimes find it to be a nice break from what's going on in the tournament. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it's also a little bit of a rite of passage. Like for a guy like Mark Davis, who has really shown a lot in this tournament already, I feel like Putting him in there with a vet like Yano and seeing what he can do with him is probably a little bit of a test to kind of test the waters to see where he might be for a potential singles run the same way that they're doing with Kyle Fletcher. And so I don't think it's all bad the way that people, you know, I understand that people just want to grade on the quality of a match and that's fine. But, you know they act like it's so sports centric and I get it. This is more sports centric than, you know, WWE, but we're not watching fucking fighting network. (laughs) You know, Yeah, this isn't, this isn't joint promotions, 1979 world of sport pro wrestling that we're watching here. It is new Japan pro wrestling. And like, they do have comedy and they do have shtick, And that's just part of it. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I felt like the outrage was so overpronounced. I was kind of, I don't know. Shocked.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I was kind of like, you know, that two and a half-ish range for this matchup. Uh, I thought it was a good opportunity for Davis to kind of show some more personality than he normally gets to do with uh, the straight-up Aussie open tag matches. He got to kind of play into that Yano um, comedy match and kind of show his side of things there. And so overall, I mean, I thought it it was fine. I don't think that, I think anything below two and a half, I think is kind of an egregious rating for it. but i could see people going off a flat 3 stars if you if you like that kind of yano comedy.
0: Yeah, i would just go, me personally i would just go flat 3 because i didn't think it was uh, and it, it, the only thing i would say is that it was just too long. There might have been some dead spots in the middle. Maybe you could go sub 3 and i i think that'd be fine but like
1: there was a lot
0: of outrage over this match and i'm like have you not watched toriano before like i don't get it.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh so yeah, so Mark Davis yeah, he picked up the kind of surprising win here which means he would uh face Will Osprey. In his next tournament matchup And then the main Event for this evening We had Evil defeating The son of strong style Ren Narita 18 minutes And 44 seconds
0: Yeah you know um, This wasn't good (laughs) (laughs) But it wasn't as bad as people Are making again this got a 4.28 On cage match which I'm like I don't know That's a little a little over The top but I do get it. There is a series. Here's the thing. We heard a lot of individuals on different spaces, people with voices in the community that were adamant that once we were out of the COVID restrictions and once we had cheering crowds and once we had vocalization from the audience, that this house of torture thing was going to prove to be a hot, ticket in terms of major heat that it was going to be molten that the crowds were going to be lively that the the hate was going to be visceral when it came to the house of torture and I got to tell you I, I not only do I think that evil was a failed experiment as a main event player in this company but I think we have had enough time now with vocal crowds to definitively say that This idea of the House of Torture as a a top heel act that draws heat is also a failed experiment as well. I know earlier in the show, I did make mention how this element has always kind of existed in New Japan. So you kind of do have to take, you, you have to give a little leeway to understand what you're watching because it's just part of it. But it is so excessive, the amount of cheating that goes on with this group whether it's ref bumps, low blows, groat wires, foreign objects, you know, chairs on the outside, exposing the turnbuckle. I mean, and run-ins and, you know, shots from a fucking, um, you know, wrench. Like, it's just very excessive and very over the top, and it's unrelenting. It always is happening that even when the matches aren't that bad, which I would say both of Evil's matches in this tournament that we've seen so far, I don't think they were that bad. They were probably close to like a three-star effort. And I felt like the guys he was working with gave it their all and really leaned into the shtick, which some people like say Zack Zach Sabre Jr. has kind of proved that the best way to have a good match with Evil or like Yoshihashi is another one. This is just kind of lean in and, and play off of what they're doing to the, the biggest extent. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter how much people do that now the audience especially the north american audience watching at home they are just fed up with it they're tired of the bullshit. they don't want it anymore and i don't think and the silence from the crowds tells you that they're not angry about it they're just completely mostly indifferent to it whatsoever the only time they get lively is when like at one point renderita kicked out of a major Spot and it seemed like he was about to lose and they they really reacted for that but the heat that House of Torture is generating is non-existent for the most part.
1: Yeah, it, it's more go away heat. I feel like yes, people just don't want to see them win. It's not like not in a good like money drawing way where you have a top heel and people are paying money to watch this top heel getting beat. It, it's not quite that. It's people being you know I don't want to watch evil. I don't really want to see him. So, a lot of times when Evil is in control and the House of Torture shenanigans are happening, um, you're you're not getting a a ton of crowd reactions, you're not getting a a ton of boost or a ton of heat. There is just kind of that silence there, and you're waiting, um, you know, hoping that the other person is going to kind of come back or the match is going to end soon. I think that's what we got here um, in this matchup. There were parts of the match where, you know, Evil was in uh, full control of Ren Narita. And like you can mention the crowd was just kind of sitting there just kind of silent until we got To those uh, near fall spots Where um, it seemed like Red Narita was going to um, Kind of out wrestle Shenanigans and, and get the win Yeah and so um, Yeah I was mentioning yeah, these these uh, near Falls towards the end here there's a lot There's a lot of cheating in Shenanigans so Of course there's a, a ref bump um, Towards the, the middle or towards The end of the match here where then you get Dick Togo Jumping in, all of how the torture coming in and, and putting the boots to Narita Evil using a chair um, you know, the, the baseball spot And they do the, the magic killer um, And then the ref comes back in Gets a two count, uh, but then he kicks out And the crowd popped then, like you mentioned The crowd popped for the kick out for that near fall Because they thought it was pretty much over there and Then he was able to um, get the renegade choke on Evil accidentally hit Dick Togo And then Ren avoided everything Is evil um, but then evil eventually hit a, a low blow mule kick and then a, a close line for a near fall and then hit the, the everything is evil to uh, get the win here.
0: Yeah. During that point where he gave him the low blow. Um, if you notice like red shoes was right there and he cut ca- and evil had to push red shoes away so that he could, you know, legally quote unquote hit the low blow outside of the referee's view and New Japan's uh, camera crew did a fantastic job here because they kept Red Shoes out of the frame. But And I re rewatched this like three times to figure out, I'm like, could he see what he did? And I feel like he had to have. He, like, he was still so... Because by, by the time they scanned back, and it was only a few seconds, he was right there in the vicinity, which, like, calls into question, like, I don't know, like, just from a kayfabe perspective, why aren't you you know either admonishing or even um you know reprimanding or even threatening to disqualify the guy that just literally put hands on you pushed you and then did a low blow like very blatantly like even if you didn't quite see it it doesn't take too and in- it doesn't take much to figure out what happened like the dude's on the ground he's holding his balls and <laughs> and he was in a dominant you know position before the the dude who was about to get choked out pushed you like I don't know, Some of that's a little over the top for me, and that's on top of all the other cheating that was happening in this match,
1: you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely it's not a good look here, and, you know, kind of had the feeling evil was going to get the win, because um, the strong style, you know, trio of Narita, Despy, and Suzuki have kind of had the best of House of Torture um in their feud, in the Never Six Man Title feud, and so it was kind of finally time for, you know, House of Torture to get a win back to kind of keep the feud going, and so... Evil being Narita, and then everything that's kind of happening on Evil side of the bracket, definitely, I understand why Evil won, but of course, I would have preferred Narita, and of course, I would have preferred a, a better match in general.
0: Right, and I mean, um, I'm right there with you. I would have preferred for Rent Narita to go through, and I think this speaks a little bit to what I said earlier in the fact that I think the company can sometimes be a little bit too slow burning when it comes to how they book some of these guys at, when they're returning from excursion or when they're like young stars. I mean, we saw what they did with Red Narita in that TV title tournament. The tournament seemed to be all centered around him, but he ultimately dropped the loss at Wrestle Kingdom to Zack Sabre Jr. Well, you know, we talked about that at the time, and we said this gives him a new goal and a new purpose, but we haven't really seen much from that. And instead, he transitioned to a trios title run, and chase with uh, desperado and suzuki and so now he's in a whole new tournament he you know drops a, a loss to evil the first night and i i think that kind of speaks a little bit to where it's like you know sometimes this company can't make up their mind as to whether or not they want to go with somebody you know they didn't go with renderita full bore in that first tournament and you know i don't know what's worse whether he loses on the first night Or if they had continued to push him and then he drops a a return loss to say like Sonata later in in the quadrant, you know, it's hard Mm -hmm. to say. At the same time, though, I know that people are very upset about evil. And I mean, I've got my own reputation when it comes to burying evil six feet under. I've done it multiple times on this show since, you know, since his turn and probably even before he left LIJ. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But um, I do think that there is some benefit in keeping him somewhat strong. Uh, And the reason I say that is because let's not forget, this is a guy that won the title at one point and was showcased as a top star, right? Right. I mean, I think Western fans are totally okay with someone being a top guy and then descending back down into the middle ranks like they were Chris Jericho in the mid 2000s or
1: the Miz
0: you know current day
1: right right I mean, even like a Jinder Mahal yeah I feel like right. uh, uh Western fans you know we've kind of been educated from the WWE style of booking like yeah it's totally normal for a undeserving mid-card guy to kind of rise up and then fall right back down to where they were
0: but here's the thing with with um, Evil. Like, if this bracket is mainly focused around this LIJ sort of narrative, which we've been speculating on as it pertains to Sonata, makes all the sense in the world why Evil would be the guy that goes through. That, as well as the fact that House of Torture has just been taking loss after loss after loss after loss, after loss they got to get a win somewhere, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it, it's not quite 50-50 booking, but, like, they can't just be... 100% buried under the earth, unless the group, unless you just want the group to not exist anymore, which I'm sure a lot of people don't want them to. The other thing, though, is that keeping him as a potential threat is kind of a smart booking crux because you have this guy that cheats everybody. And then when he loses, which he typically, from all patterns from the past few years, aside from that first New Japan Cup that he won. He's never really had another major win, if you really think about it. But he's always kind of in play in these tournaments, whether it comes, you know, whether it's the G1 or the New Japan Cup. He's always someone that's alive down the stretch, and then right when people are starting to believe, "Oh my god, they're gonna have House of Torture win," he loses, and it kind of makes the guy that that beat him. It is kind of smart if you really think about it from that perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a way, I think, to use Evil in roles like that. We've seen that kind of happen. Even you know, even Kevin Kelly mentioned on commentary last year, um, you know, about he was saying if the Evil went to the finals and won, that people would cancel New Japan World and uh, kind of building that narrative there. So when he finally lost, it was kind of, a, it felt like a big moment. Um, and I think, you know, we agree that putting the double titles on Evil uh, during the pandemic was a bad Booking decision but I think it also Hurts the booking when you Don't use him in some Kind of way like yes he shouldn't Have never been the double champion But at the end of the day you, you made Him the double champion you know you look at the history books, he will be a former IWGP Heavyweight champion So I think just to completely beat him Over and over again um, Is not necessarily the, the best thing just because of he, him being a former champion. So I do think kind of having him in roles like this, where he is, he does advance a little bit. It's not always losing. Uh, it, it makes sense. just from a, a previous booking standpoint. Um, and it's something you're, you're just going to have to do. Cause he, he was a former champion. Right. And
0: here's the other thing too, is like, if you don't want to watch him, you don't have to. I mean, if I had the choice, I wouldn't most likely. <laughs> yeah. But when the company's giving you, blow-away matches in the tournament with guys like, you know, Tamatanga and Will Ospreay and Bishamon and um, Aussie Open and, you know, Shingo and the list kind of goes on and on. There's a lot of great things in this tournament. The fact that there's one guy that's kind of a deterrent, I don't think that that's, like, time to raise the crisis alarm and be like, oh, my God, this company. I mean, like, you know. Zach Saber Jr. is still alive in the tournament. Will Osprey is still alive in the tournament. Kent has, you know, been doing. Well, actually, he's dead. But, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of good things that are happening in the tournament. It's like people are ready to uh, decry the company over one guy that we all kind of already know is a sticky mess.
1: Yeah, I think what's kind of happening here with some of these matches and the tournament overall is kind of something that. Uh, our friend Rich Krejci has been pointing out about AEW Dynamite on the flagship. You know, he talks about when people watch Dynamite, like most of the discourse afterwards is whatever, like the one bad or negative thing that happened on the show. Meanwhile, like the rest of the show, you had all these great, you know, notebook matches, all these great promos, these great angles. But then most of the discourse afterwards is that that one bad thing. You know, that that one. Brandy promo, or whatever it is that people are talking about. That oh man, that was a really bad segment. But it's like, yeah, well, there's also like another hour and a half where we had, you know, Kenny versus whoever, or at least this great trails match. And people don't really focus in on that. I think that's what's happening here with this tournament. It's like, yeah, we've been having, um, you know, some really great matches with like Shingo and Hanare and uh, Osprey and Davis and Fletcher and Goto. There's been some really, really good hard hitting matches here. But people have been zeroing in on the the Yano and Davis, the Evil and Narita, the 30-minute the you know Sonata and Kenta match that we'll get to here in, in a minute. People are kind of zoned in on the negative, and I think that's kind of drowning out any of the positive that's been actually happening in this tournament.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and I think that some of the um, criticisms are going to be, well, I think they're all truthful. I just think they're overblown. You know what I mean, right? That that that's, I think there there's an a tendency to. I don't like this, so I'm going to over exaggerate about how bad it is. You know, I also have to wonder hypothetically. I know that like, I know that there's a lot of other like per resume companies and stuff, but I I have to wonder, especially for like the Western audience, if the influence from AW also kind of affects this. You know, like you you sort of brought them up there, and I'm. I'm thinking to myself, it's like, how many weeks do, do we watch, say, like Dynamite? And I know they've had a few bad episodes here and there the last, you know, couple months. But for the by and large, they have these classic top to bottom, nothing, you know, shows that are just filled with bangers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then New Japan does that from time to time, but we also sort of have these other. Kind of longer running narratives throughout a tour because it's not a weekly episodic show; it's a tour based show. And people, I think, will watch AEW what they do on Wednesday night, and they're like, "Damn, you know, they're they're, they're having like four or five great matches." And then and then you tune in to a show like this, and it's like they got a strong undercard, and then you know, on this particular night, two admittedly bad main event and semi-main event and then it's like you kind of get dissatisfied especially maybe if like you're a newer viewer or even like a long-term viewer who's like over you know these uh kind of gato booking tendencies yeah but my my only big thing with it is um the tendency of the fan base to pretend as though this didn't always exist like it's something new like it wasn't around for the past decade (laughs) right yeah when both of these things the comedy and you know the the bad you know garbage overbooked russo style booking that has always existed in New Japan and then you know naito you know going out there and having terrible matches in the main event let's not pretend like that hasn't been happening for the last five minutes
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean Gato loves for, for, for,
0: for, for, for every for every Naito Osprey match there's a naito
1: suzuki <laughs> oh my that that ic title feud <laughs> 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 oh man uh yeah but gato loves western booking so the fact that yeah you have a bunch of stables you have you know a, a top you know cheating faction or a lot of cheating and run-ins you know you hear all those rumors during the pandemic of you know gato and dick togo just talking about we need to get heat brother let's get more heat um, and that's what, you know, Gale likes that kind of Western Memphis, you know, get heat kind of thing. Um, and sometimes it works out, but sometimes it doesn't. Yeah.
0: But uh, um, I guess we should probably move on. I don't have any further thoughts. I, I, unfortunately, Renarita took the loss here, but I think we sort of were reading the tea leaves as early as during the preview for this tournament, kind of seeing, like, yeah, they've been sort of... Uh, looking evil pretty weak past you know six months it's probably time for them to heat him up just a tad bit yeah unfortunately
1: yeah uh we did have a question here from ethnic underscore dystopian says if young boy got his wish and bull club dissolved today what faction would be in its place and who would be in it
0: oh man that's too uh <laughs> There, there's a million members of bullet club. So I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do appreciate the, the question, but yeah, these, um, anytime it's like a, a fantasy booking scenario sort of thing. I mean, I don't know uh, to be quite frank with you yeah. where all the members of bullet club end up going and where, what group would rise up in its place. That's uh, a little too involved for my taste.
1: Yeah I'm not sure where the guys would land But as far as like maybe just An existing faction that could take their Place I, I think we see the United Empire kind of in that Role of where I know they're more kind Of tweeners right now but You know we've been talking about like the original Bull Club and what made that group So popular and so Cool was all these guys that were like real Life friends actually traveled together There was that bond that Chemistry that relationship is kind of Poured on screen, and uh, you saw what a tight knit group that was. And I think we're seeing that here. We've an empire. I mean, these are all these guys are all friends. I mean, Osprey and Ossie Open live together. All these guys have like a history and a camaraderie together. It really seems like they are this really tight knit um, kind of group. It seems like they're they're the rising kind of cool, mainly foreigners. You know, Great Ocon is the only uh, domestic talent in the group. Um, kind of fitting that usual role back in the you know original run of Bullet Club. And so I think there's a lot of things that United Empire is doing that kind of reminds me of that initial kind of Bullet Club run. And it can really, I mean, if you got rid of Bullet Club, you can push United Empire as that really kind of top heel tweener um, foreigner faction.
0: I guess so. But there there are certain uh, idioms and, and things that are so specifically associated with the bullet club that they would, there would be a miss a missing element from the mythos and the, the lore of new Japan. I would be reticent if hypothetically, let's say they, they, they turn another group into that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I would hate to see United empire become bullet club and adopt some of the negative, you know, tendencies that, that we associate with the group or even another group, uh, kind of gathering those things. Um, so I don't know.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, let's move on to uh, night four here. So on our card, we had show Nujiro defeating Kosei Vegeta and Zack Sabre Jr. Taichi and Kanamaru defeating Dick Togo and evil chase Finley, ELP and Kenta defeating Despy, Suzuki, Narita and Gucci uh, then we had Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, Mark Davis, and Will Ospreay defeating Goto Ishii, Yano, and Hanma. Then we had Leo Rush, Yo, Shoto Umino, and Tama Tonga defeating Bushi Hiromu Sanada and Tetsuya Naito, which brings us to the uh, semi-main and main, which were tournament matches. We had Kyle Fletcher defeating Yoshihashi, 20 minutes and 6 seconds.
0: Yeah, this, um, this night showcased as it's almost the other side of the coin from the previous night that we discussed. And it showcased how great the New Japan Cup can be, especially with some of these matchups that we're not used to getting. Like, for instance, uh, this one in particular, Cal Fletcher and Yoshihashi. I mean, there were many years where Yoshihashi wasn't necessarily even involved with... uh, like, say, the G1, or if he was involved in it, he was kind of like, a you know, the perennial loser. And there were several years where people were talking about him being on the bubble as it pertained to those big match performances. And then you look at a guy like Kyle Fletcher, who, like, let's say if he wasn't in this tournament, right, and they were still just, uh, you know, having him and Mark Davis tag team around and, and do the odd show here or there, the odd tour here or there. We wouldn't get this kind of high stakes scenario to see what he's capable of doing against a Yoshihashi, and we definitely wouldn't see him in like let's say a G1 climax because of the fact that he's a tag team specialist. And you know, very rarely we'll get to showcase what he what goods he has when it comes to this style of wrestling. And that's the beauty of New Japan Cup is to give certain guys that maybe aren't a good fit right now for the G one or for like a major title an opportunity to showcase what they have. And that's exactly what Kyle Fletcher and Yoshihashi went out there and they did. And this match was just fantastic. Um, High speed, high athleticism, big moves, big strikes, high risk. Um, Yeah. Yoshihashi and Kyle Fletcher, they went out there and they laid it all on the line and we, we kind of know this about Yoshihashi. If you've been paying attention, I, I know that his demeanor, his looks, and his charisma might sometimes be lacking, but there's just certain matches. I remember the match from uh, G1 this past year. I believe it was with ELP, like kind of reminded me of this a little bit where it's like when Yoshihashi is called upon to go out there and have a a really high level, um, you know, kind of quasi spot fest sort of match with someone that's capable of doing it like a kyle fletcher or you know like a, a will osprey yoshi Hoshi can hang with the best of them he's almost like a uh you know we've kind of joked in the past about like i remember when he wrestled um uh god what's his name who's the dude that stole the the protein
1: oh uh elgin
0: <laughs> he had those <laughs> matches with elgin where we we're like these are like video game matches. <laughs> How much? How much? How many like big moves and big strikes these guys were spamming, and like it's kind of outrageous. That's the kind of match I had with Cal Fletcher. I loved it. I, I'd probably go, I don't know, three and three quarters, maybe even close to four stars. Like this was just an excellent match.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely four stars on this match. This was a, uh, like you mentioned, very hard hitting, very fast paced matchup. Yoshihashi has really just continued to just be on fire, Um, you know, ever since the pandemic and that, you know, great, you know, never six-man title run that he had with Goto and Ishii, and then trenching all that into the the Bishamon run and the the great matches that him and Goto have been having, well, all that has really just kind of built up Yoshihashi, gave him this new confidence, this new edge in his matches, and yeah, it's really kind of killed it here with Kyle Fletcher and like you mentioned, you know, New Japan Cup, a great opportunity for a guy like Kyle Fletcher, who we've seen in singles, you know, opportunities in, in the past, especially when uh, Mark Davis was injured during the pandemic. You know, we saw that great empty arena match with um, Kyle Fletcher and Will Ospreay at Ref Pro and some other really great, you know, singles matches he had kind of during that pandemic time when uh, Davis was injured. And we know that Tanahashi loves uh, Kyle Fletcher, so It definitely seems like New Japan is interested In seeing kind of what a Kyle Fletcher singles run Could potentially look like and I thought He did an absolutely great job Here you know there are some guys who are Just tag wrestlers and and don't always Really adjust the singles or um, You know their singles matches are not as Good as their tag matches but I thought Kyle really you know took advantage Of the opportunity here it looked like He belonged in a singles match you know He wasn't gassed out or there wasn't kind of any awkward moments in the matchup. And so, yeah, I thought he killed it, um, you know, towards the end here. Things really picked up um, after Yoshihashi hit a uh, Canadian Destroyer uh, for a near fall, which led to a double down. Then they were trading uh, big forearms back and forth uh, on their knees and just kind of giving each other these, these brutal, stiff strikes. Um, but you got hit with a super kick. Yoshihashi then hit a second rope Canadian Destroyer in a big clothesline for a near fall. Fletcher comes back with a half Nelson suplex. And so they're just kind of going back and forth. She actually had a brainbuster for another really great near fall. Uh, but then eventually uh, Fletcher would come back and hit that uh, jumping tombstone, which I believe he calls the, the Aussie arrow to get the win here.
0: Yeah. And I uh, it's kind of similar with the Mark Davis match that we're going to review. I wasn't quite sure what their singles finishers were. Um, not I'm not necessarily like the most uh knowledgeable fan when it comes to like say Repro and some of the companies that they're used you know that they frequent that others might be more familiar with. But uh yeah, when he he hit that turning uh tombstone, that was pretty awesome. Very like you know, reminded me a lot of like the one or uh, <laughs> I was gonna say one, two, three, uh the dynamite kid sort mm. of uh, influence. And, yeah yeah it caught me off guard but it was a great finish to a great match and it continues to play into the uh mounting rivalry between bishamon and the united empire slash aussie open so cal fletcher picks up the win here moves on to the next round where he will face uh hiroki goto the tag team partner of yoshihashi another half of the iwgp heavyweight tag team champions And, um, you know, there's also kind of a a narrative here that Al Fletcher had a 20-minute war with Yoshihashi, and he goes into the second round against Goto, who is fresh-faced and hasn't, um, you know, had to fight anybody prior to their match.
1: Yes, right. Goto, one of the guys getting a a first-round bye in the tournament. So, yeah, definitely a, a great story element there that we'll talk about in that matchup. Um, And then the the main event here was Aaron Hanare getting kind of the the first big upset in this tournament. He defeats Shingo Takagi 20 minutes and 46 seconds.
0: And I might like this match even better than Kyle Fletcher and Yoshihashi. Um, I think it's safe to say this was very likely the best match of Aaron Hanare's entire career, or at least singles match of his entire career. And um, I'm really loving how Mark Davis and Will Osprey came down to ringside to support both of their faction members. It is something that we've discussed, where there all there are all these factions here in New Japan, but they don't always seem to be cohesive or actually, you know, like let's say in the case of Chaos, they don't even really hardly exist, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this camaraderie and sort of brotherhood with uh, the United Empire and I think that that's something that really served like say the bullet club and in some of their early iterations to kind of, um, showcase and highlight those, you know, bonds that the members have. And I think that goes a long way with the audience. I mean, AEW was literally built in many ways off of the, the supposed bonds or even real life realized bonds between the members of the elite. Uh, so I think that that's something smart that they're doing there. And Mark Davis and Will Ospreay were here for Aaron Hanare's match with Shingo. But boy, this was really, really, really hard hitting. And um, I don't know if there's a better person in New Japan than Shingo to pair up with someone like Aaron Hanare. To not only have this style of match, but also to give Aaron Hinari the space to showcase what he's capable of doing with this new offense that he's been building over the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, and also, too, to your point about United you know, Empire kind of supporting each other, you had uh, Jeff Cobb on commentary this night on the English mm-hmm. side. Yeah, Great O'Connor was on the Japanese commentary. Um, so you really just kind of are full support from these guys out here on the ringside. Uh, but yeah, the, the hard-hitting nature, uh, Shingo was a perfect guy to base off of here against Hanare. You know, back when Hanare was a young line or kind of right when he graduated you know he had that series of matches or a feud with ishii and there yeah. was some real kind of spotlights for him and so we know that he can wrestle that kind of never hard-hitting style and so yeah like you mentioned chingo a perfect guy for hanare to kind of emphasize hanare's strength like you mentioned he's been doing a lot of that the, that muay thai training that he's been implementing a lot of those kickboxing strikes as well and so I thought Shingo did an excellent job of putting over Hanare striking here in this match. You know, Shingo is kind of known as one of the better, you know, hard hitters in new Japan today. But you know, when Hanare was hitting those body blows or some of those spitting kicks, he was really selling the the power and the precision of Hanare.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And I feel like, when it comes to hanari and big matches we saw him in the g1 this past year and he he had a lot of really good successful outings but very rarely did he ever feel like someone that was putting all the pieces together in a manner to where you can see him having big new japan style main event type matches and that's exactly what this was on this night and Shingo was the perfect guy to pair him with to do that and they went out there and they laid it all on the line and it was very emotional very hard-hitting and you know we kind of were calling for the upset before this match happened but to see it play out the way it did um it was beautifully booked because they could have very easily done some variation of the better guy slips on a banana peel and gives a contentious victory to the guy that that upsets him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there even was a little bit, I don't want to say it was quite that same thing, but when Hinari beat uh, Tanahashi in the G1 on the first night this past year, it didn't feel conclusive. It, it, it definitely was shocking, but it sort of felt like a little bit like that, a little bit like, oh, man, the vet slipped on a banana peel. But on this night, there was nothing like that. It was it the as good as the match as a whole was, the finishing sequence was very so high level and so back and forth with so many reversals and hard strikes and both guys coming very near to hitting their finishers until finally out of nowhere, Hanari was able to hit the, the streets of rage on him where and you're like, holy fuck. And then one, two, three, he beats him and it's like okay i understand why they did this it is to give hanari a big push it's to give him a meaningful win over a current champion so that he can become the next challenger and all that but i believe he can beat shingo because he just did it conclusively kind of the same way how Tamatonga beat jay white it felt kind of similar to that or actually it, it sort of reminded me of when Tamatonga beat okada in the g1 the first time
1: yeah and also, too, I think something that also helped this win is to some of the work they did on the undercard. Um, you did have Hanare um, pinning Shingo in one of the mm, multi-man right. tag matches earlier in the week. And then, plus, any time they kind of faced off in multi-man, Hanare kind of had the advantage over Shingo. And so yeah. he was riding a, a ton of momentum going into the match. So it seemed like it was very believable, like you mentioned, with Hanare kind of controlling Shingo in those matches and then coming in here and once again... Shingo kind of selling his striking power. It totally was, yeah, a straight up believable win. Like, wow, yeah, Hanare was the better man this night. There was no, yeah, banana peel. Like, these guys are throwing bombs, you know, throwing headbutts. You know, Hanare with that big uh, hammerhead, a uh, headbutt towards the end there. Then, yeah, like you mentioned, hitting that streets of uh, rage towards the end there, and just pinning him right in the middle one, two, three. Definitely um, a big moment for Aaron Hanare. He also kicked
0: out of the uh, Made in Japan which, granted, that's not uh, Shingo's number one finisher anymore, but for a guy, the level of booking that uh, Hanare has been the past few years, it was believable. He could have beaten him with a, with a uh, made, made in Japan. So when he kicked out, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Yeah. And yeah, I, that, that whole thing where Hanare beat him in the multi-man on the first night, to me seemed like a or whenever it was, seemed like a red herring. Like like okay, he beat him clean in the the multi man tag. So now Shingo's for sure beating him. We were wrong. But it turns out we weren't wrong. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hinari did beat him and you know, Hanari moved on in the tournament. It's pretty shocking. Um yeah. And this match was fantastic. One of the best of the tournament.
1: Yeah. Some definitely somewhere in that uh four, four and a quarter uh range on this I'm, match. I'm four and a quarter on this one. Yeah, it's definitely uh, in that range there, and yeah, one of the best matches of the tournament thus far. And a great night for the United Empire, having Fletcher advance, having Hanari advance, and they had a big you know, celebration uh, at the end of the night there, with uh, Cobb and Ocon coming off commentary to celebrate with these guys.
0: Yeah, and Kevin Kelly mentioned at the end of the night, he's like, every member of uh, United Empire that's in this tournament are still alive. So, it was like, damn, like, They're dominating
1: Yeah So then that brings us to night 5 Where we had Hanare, Okan, and Cobb Defeating Oscar Lube, Tom Matonga And Toriano, Finley and E.L.P Defeating Kosei Vegeta and Zack Sabre Jr Dick Togo, Evil Show, and Yujiro Defeating just 4 guys Leo Rush, Ishii, and Yo Defeating Bushi, Hiromu, and Shingo Then we had Kyle Fletcher, Mark Davis, and Will Ospreay Defeating Bishamon and Hunma Um, And then the uh, three big matches on this night. First, we had uh, Tanahashi and Okada, the Mega Aces. They defeated Ren Narita and Shota Umino, 13 minutes and 32 seconds.
0: Um, Yes, uh, I think this was probably the match of the night, uh, this tag match. And uh, yeah, it was relatively short, but it was very, very good for what it was. High octane, very good pace, and um, kind of like this sort of you You just really do get the feeling that you know um, everything put aside that Umino and Narita are the future of New Japan and then you've got the current you know um New Japan and Okada and tanahashi and it feels like uh, very much a generational match that you know one day we might we might be looking back being like, damn, they did tanahashi and Okada versus Narita and Umino before they were like truly big stars and um that's the that's kind of the vibe I got here, and it was a uh, definitely a case of Narita and Umino looking to prove a point against these veterans.
1: Yeah, they they kind of jumped at the bell and were, were brawling with Okada and Tanahashi, and you know, Umino and Narita coming from the same dojo class. These guys have teamed and faced each other several times when they were a young lions, so they had great chemistry here, and yeah, they were really taking it to. Uh, Tanahashi and Okada in the beginning Of the match you know really cutting off the ring And knocking uh, Tanahashi Off the apron several times and You know really going toe to toe with these guys Until um, you know we kind of Got to the end we got a a similar Kind of layout to the uh, Kiyomiya match here where You know Kiyomiya he got his big Offense in but at the end of the day Okada you know flipped the switch And put an end to him we got the same Thing here towards the end you know Umino and Arita here they were Throwing out all their big moves And were in control for a while But then yeah Okada once again He hit that switch when he was in there um, With friend Arita And he just killed him With a Rainmaker Um, And then that led uh, Okada and Tanahashi To do a a double team on Umino That that, that elbow drop High fly flow combo Um, And then uh, Okada hit A second Rainmaker on Arita To get the win
0: yeah, which by the way, I don't know why we didn't mention it last week, but I love the idea of both of those guys coming off the top rope hitting their trademark stuff on somebody like to me, uh that's a finish.
1: Yeah. yeah they that, that they could have if Tanahashi was a legal man. Yeah, that that would have been a great way to end the match. Yeah. So yeah, so the fun tag match and I, again, I think it's going to be like you said one of those maybe not hidden gem, but kind of special matches where it's like maybe ten years from now, you're like, oh man, I can't believe they actually like ran this on this like undercard of a new Japan Cup. Yeah. Um so then after that we had second round matchup at New Japan Cup. We had Tatsuya Naito defeating the crown jewel Chase Owens eighteen minutes and seven seconds.
0: Yeah, um, again, this is uh, looking at the scores here. This was a night where the top two matches got pretty abysmal cage match ratings. I think uh, Naito and Chase Owens sitting at 5.81, Sonata and Kenta sitting at 4.61. And um, I I thought Naito and Chase Owens was pretty good for what it was, uh, honestly. I didn't think it was like blow away. I definitely think from what we've seen so far, and there's no reason for me to at this point, there's never been any reason for me to think otherwise. I do think there, that there's a ceiling on the level of match that Chase Owens is capable of delivering. Like, he's an incredible hand, he's incredibly smooth, very smart worker, so competent in many, many different ways. But when it comes to hitting that next gear of emotion and getting people invested into the story. There seems to be some sort of disconnect. But with that being said. Even though I definitely think that Naito seemed to be. You know pretty uh, pretty much. Um, you know resigned to having essentially like a, a road to level undercard style match. The last five or six minutes of this match are fantastic. Uh, and the big moment being where these guys are fighting on the ropes in the corner and Chase Owens hits a fucking second rope styles clash for near mm. fall 17 minutes into the match. Like that got me off of my chair and then hitting the C trigger and, you know, really all throughout the match teasing the package pile driver, which we know, you know, it's sort of like uh Folle's, um, grenade. bad, bad luck fall or, grenade, you know, um, yeah, or even, um, Oh, God, what's what's wrong with me? Why am I forgetting the wrestling? Why am I forgetting the wrestlers' names tonight? Uh, Makabe has the King Kong knee drop. And oh, yeah. Moves, it doesn't matter that those guys aren't slot at the top. They have this one ace in the hole. If they hit it, you're done. And that's kind of what the package pile driver is. If Chase Owens hits you with that, it's night night. doesn't matter if you're Kazushiko, Kata, or not. And they teased that quite a bit, and he was never able to catch it. But had he been able to, he might have been able to put Naito away. Um, and I also liked that Naito hit him with the, uh, the running Destino and he kicked out of it, kind of creating the illusion. I mean, there are definitely guys that he could have hit that on and or even just Chase Owens in general. It, under different circumstances, not in a high-profile uh, tournament match, if he hit a running Destino, he could have still easily pinned someone the caliber of Chase Owens. But on this night, Chase Owens had to dig a little bit deeper, kick out of that. And, and I like that aspect of the story. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about these these scores. I think they're a little overblown. But, um, you know, the the match was a little bit long in the tooth. But I, I thought it was pretty good for what it was.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was a fine match. I think probably most people's issues are, you know, it, it's Chase Owens, a guy who's typically kind of booked as a low kind of mid-card guy in there with uh, a Tetsuya Naito. And, yes, we've seen... Chase beat guys like Tanahashi with, with the package pile driver, but it's not a, a very uh, common thing. And so this was a very competitive back-and-forth match with a, you know, top star main in and a lower mid-card bull club guy. I'm, I'm sure that's kind of probably most people's issues, but if you kind of throw it out the window, it was a, kind of a very good back-and-forth match up here, especially the closing stretch that you mentioned, which we saw Chase hitting that, that top rope, the second rope uh, styles clash For a great near fall um, And then Naito ends up pulling up the win With a, a victory roll so then he didn't even hit The, the Destino to beat him so Naito did a uh, you know really good job Of making it super competitive and kind of making It look like he just kind of squeaked by Chase Right And
0: um, you know uh, This was was this Naito's Second match at the tournament or first match I can't recall
1: This was his second match he beat ELP In the first round
0: right and he beat him with the same roll up right yeah okay I, I i figured that that's what it was but i just i didn't want to misspeak and and talk about how he's been beating people with the roll up and you only had one match and i sound like an idiot uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i mean there there's a narrative at play that he's defeating people in this tournament with this roll up and it's the same one that he used last year in the tournament when he was facing different people most notably he beat okada with that move so uh it's definitely sort of a running theme throughout it but you know my, my whole thing is like i get it i understand if people are I, I just think that people complain to complain i'm like i get it chase owens he's a low-level guy people don't like him but it's like we're gonna watch N- naito and okada or naito and tanahashi for the millionth time you know like i, I, I welcome the fresh matchups personally yeah so then plus uh... plus We're smart fans. We know what the fucking New Japan Cup is. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) it's not the G (laughs) One.
1: Yeah. Uh, So then, uh, main event was Sonata defeating Kenta, twenty nine minutes and twelve seconds.
0: All right. Now, this is a match that I think was actually bad. (laughs) (laughs) And okay, actually, let me take that back. For what? For for. These two guys going out there and having a competent wrestling match, they're definitely capable of it, and they definitely did that. It's just there's so much gaga in between the actual wrestling that I don't need at any point to see Sonata and Kenta in 2023 go out there and push up against the G1 Climax time
1: limit. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. This match was way too long. There's a lot of stuff kind of happening here that made this match not great. And again, it's kind of what we've been talking about with these Kenta matches where parts of the match you you get that, you know, O two, O three, Noah Kenta, where he's doing all these hard slaps and crazy combos. And then you get the 2023 Kenta where it's the the cheating, the ref bumps, the you know the, the speed walking, like you get all that mixed in. Then you have a guy like Sonata, who, you know, he just came off a, a great performance with Tai Chi. But I think this match proved the point of what we've been saying about Sonata from day one of this show is that he wrestles to the level of the guy that he's in there with. So he was in yeah. there with Tai Chi and he had his hard hitting banger because Tai Chi kind of made him. And here. It
0: was literally the story. The story was his heart's
1: not in it and Tai Chi pushed him. To the point where his heart had to, had to be
0: exposed.
1: You know what I mean? Right. And then here, he's kind of wrestled down to what Kenta was doing. And you did not have that same fiery Sonata that you got in the previous match. This was the same old, same Sonata who's, you know, doing the the, the, the planche to the outside, trying to do all his wacky roll-ups, trying to use a skull in. We, you know, there was a lot of kind of the same stuff. There wasn't that... Fire the one that hard hitting that like you saw in the Tai Chi match.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not sold on Sonata as a top guy, and I know it, definitely there could be a disconnect here between what a Western audience loves and appreciates, and you know is uh, gonna um, be receptive to, and then versus a domestic audience. So I could I admit we could be completely in the wrong here. And maybe many of the things that Sonata does do uh, resound with the domestic audience, but it doesn't sound like it when I'm watching it live. And it doesn't feel like it. And it, it is so strange for a guy that's been in the game as long as Sonata has and that is as talented from a physical standpoint as he is that he just doesn't seem at different points to be able to put put it all together The way that you would imagine he could unless he is wrestling someone that is superior in terms of match layout. I'm wondering like if if it's if it's uh, I don't know if it's laziness or if it is, um, you know, if he's just uh, kind of, you know, accepting of his lot in life or maybe maybe he doesn't have that technical mind to know how to go out there and put together you know he knows how to to do the mechanics of a wrestling match but maybe he doesn't know how to lay it out to get over i, I don't really know what it is but there is a disconnect in my opinion from this guy and him sort of being a quasi charisma black hole you know i don't think he has the tools to to transcend to the, to the next level to be a main eventer And this was something we were saying in 2018 and we got flack and we got buried. And there were people that were commenting and responding to us saying, you know, that it's ridiculous that we were, you know, saying that he wasn't at the level of a Kenny Omega or a Kota Ibushi or some of the other guys that are, you know, his contemporaries, but you know, we're, we're, we're five years on and look at where he's at, and we're questioning as to whether, or at least I'm questioning, like, why are we investing in Sonata in 2023? Why are we giving him the shine and the spotlight? I don't have faith, like, me personally, I don't have faith in him to be a guy to carry a group or to go out there and consistently have great matches. Like, I just don't understand it. I'm I'm kind of at a loss here.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you, and I think it kind of goes back to the point you were making earlier About New Japan being conservative about some of the the younger guys Like, we've kind of been here, done that with Sonata He's had the New Japan Cup run, he's had the feud with Okada You know, that four series of matches they had in 2018 or 2019 Whatever it was, and like, I know people love that series And thought it was one of the best matches of the year, one of those matches But you know, now we're, it's 2023. We have a whole crop of young guys that need the chance That need the opportunity. And we're kind of going back to the well here with Sonata and trying to get him over and tell the story. And it's like, I don't get it. Like, at this point, I don't see him as a viable main adventure. So, why are we spending the time investing in him? Um, you know, take a look at it. I mean, they, they went with evil. Over him I think That was the right call if you really think about it Though yeah I'm just Saying like I think that's to me that's kind of where Like he is like they they chose Evil over him and now we're back Here trying to to invest In him and get him going and get To that next level where it's very Clear like you mentioned there's something And I know New Japan matches are not Heavenly agented so I don't know if it's a Thing where like he needs an agent That's kind of helping him lay out more stuff or uh, There's he's I don't, I don't know what it is, but there's something where he's going out there and the matches are not clicking unless he's in there with Osprey or Saber or Taichi or Tanahashi or somebody like that. There's no denying that
0: Sonata's supremely talented, but almost everybody that's working in New Japan Pro Wrestling is supremely talented, and there are levels to the game, and he's not on the level unfortunately of the top echelon of workers and there is a house style that requires that level of innovation and care and excitement and it just isn't there with with uh let's say White, uh with sonata you know what i mean yeah. and um uh, it, it's it is mind-boggling that we're doing this lij story and from a narrative standpoint, it makes sense. I mean, I am interested to see where it's going. But when I, and if they had to do this match, I don't know why it couldn't have gone the way several other matches in the tournament went, where it's some 20 minutes or Reddit. I mean, bro, we went almost, 30, this is one of the longest matches in the tournament. And that's another thing not is very much known for, is having long, arduous matches. And it's like, why? Why do, there's no reason, there's no reason for me to sit through. 30-minute Sonata match. Now, I will say this. This It's probably the only positive thing I will say. 4.61, that's probably too high. Or, I'm sorry, too low. Uh, To me, this was probably a solid three-star match. But, do you really want to be watching Sonata and Kenta for 29 minutes have a three-star classic? (laughs) No. No. (laughs) No. It was just, too slow, too methodical, and and just lacking in any real fire or heat or passion. Like I don't yeah. know, and Sonata's I don't know. The other thing too is like you kind of compare this run right where the, the the tournament's about Sonata, and let's compare and contrast that to Evil when Evil was uh, turning heel like sure evil's matches were great but like you're like damn he's going out there doing something different every night he's brutalizing people he's cheating something's happening and uh david finley's kind of captured a little bit of that same say on the other side of the bracket you got dave finley and i know he's only had the one match and we're gonna see another one here soon but it's like okay there's something going on with him but like with sonata it's like all right he's just a loser who happens to be winning. <laughs> nothing has changed
1: yeah why? <laughs> like- at all after the Tai Chi match, it, it seemed like okay, maybe something is happening, and there, maybe there's more to this story. But then you had, you had the multi mans, and like it was kind of a regular old Lij multi mans. There was no real tension between him and Naito Lij, and then you get to this match. It was like you know, it was kind of same old, same old sonata. Like based off this match, you wouldn't know that there was they were telling a story here.
0: Yeah, all it tells me is that I believe a lot more in Tai Chi than I do in Sonata at this point.
1: Yeah, and you know, this match had a lot of shenanigans, you know, Sonata, or Kenta, you know, taping up Sonata in the Paradise Lock, there's several ref bumps um, towards the end here, Um, Kenta pushed Sonata into the ref, he had a low blow, and then he got the strong title, and uh, he's gonna hit Sonata with it, and Sonata kicked it in his face and then he hit that uh, Blade Runner DDT thing and got the win and then we had some uh, questions here Uh, first from the Dark Soldier says you guys laughed at me, ignored me told me that Hanada wouldn't make it far and now he's in the quarterfinal who's laughing now
0: did we say that? I don't I don't think we said that, did we say that?
1: I, I I think we we kind of dis, dismissed Sonata. At least we we didn't want to see Sonata uh, make it far.
0: I don't. Did we not like speculate that he could easily be in the finals? Just based on the just based on the story that they were telling with
1: him. I don't know. Maybe, but I know I, was, I remember I was not super high on him. and I did not want to see him go far in tournament
0: i don't recall i honestly don't recall i feel like i was booking out either him or elp to be in the top final four for that quadrant so i don't know um but i will say this nothing about what they're doing with sonata is inspiring any confidence in me that they're making the right decision regardless right yeah (laughs) you know like I wouldn't be uh, taking a victory lap if this is the output that the guy is is showing us.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, Death Triangle Seven Twenty. Do you think the Sonata push needs to progress or stop?
0: You know, that's the tough thing. Is uh, from all reports. I mean, it's not normal that um, the idea that New Japan would would Take a uh, a look at what they're doing and say, you know, it's not really going so well. So let's just put a stop to it. That's pretty rare that they ever do anything like that. They're usually going to, especially with ghetto, especially when it's a major story. They're going to kind of stick with it and see it through to the end, for better or for worse. So, regardless of whether whether I think they shouldn't or should be doing it or should or should continue it is kind of irrelevant at this point because they're going to give it at least a a chance you know
1: yeah so yeah they'll they'll probably keep going with it i mean again i think we've kind of made our opinions known that if we had the book we would not be pushing sonata right now but they're they're kind of already going that way and i think we gotta see you know the old let it play out and see kind of see where it ends up going
0: that's the real question. I'm not a, I'm not
1: offended that Sonata's winning matches,
0: you know, after going through a long, pronounced dry spell where he's on the losing end. That was interesting. You know, it's very interesting that he's taking losses. Now he's in this tournament and he's getting victories. And with this victory, it sets him up to be on a collision course with Tetsuya Naito. And these guys have been having, uh, especially after this night, during the undercard started having a lot more tension with one another we've seen this before i mean this is not anything new maybe to new viewers it would be but we've seen when these two guys compete against one another in the g1 and when they're teaming together uh, there's all sorts of dissension leading up to their their interpromotion or interfactional matches so we we've seen the song and dance But it is going to be interesting if there is any sort of deviation or pivot as it pertains to Sonata remaining a viable member of LIJ. What happens if he beats Naito? So um, as much as we're complaining about the quality of this match, the, the forthcoming match with him and Naito, and if he gets past Naito, probably evil, those become very, very interesting scenarios.
1: Right, that then the kind of the story picks up there. I think yeah, people are really excited to kind of see what's going to happen with Naito and Sonata. That that's going to be a match in Cork and Hall uh, this week, so I think it should be a, a sold out, hot crowd for that match, and hopefully that that really kind of kicks up whatever the story is here.
0: Yeah, and I mean I'm at this point, Jeremy, where it's like you know it, it's not 2016 anymore. It's not 2017. We're not at the point where when the company is doing something iffy. We say, hey, Gato's earned our trust, you know, without question. Give him the time and space. Let's see what he's got cooking. Yeah. In 2023, I don't think that way about his his booking anymore. Now I look at it with a side eye and I'm like, I guess we'll see. <laughs> because yeah. there's been some misses. And I just don't have faith in Sonata. Even as interesting as some of that sounds, I'm like, do I think that they're going to pull the trigger and tell a long term long term story that's gonna be satisfying and fulfilling with this guy, and I just don't see it. So I'll let him. I'll let him do it. I'm gonna keep. I mean, we're not gonna we're not gonna cancel the podcast over it or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah. But I'm also kind of like I don't know, bro. Sonata is a top guy. Like, what what the fuck are we doing? Why? Like yeah. Why? I don't <laughs> get it.
1: A uh, question here from OKOK890. Has Taichi already played his part in the Sonata storyline, or will we see him encourage Sonata again? That's
0: been the only thing that I've truly found interesting and, and entertaining about this whole entire story is when the match they had and the fallout from it where he seemed to be able to encourage and inspire Sonata to look into himself and, and find the courage to to be his own man you know mm-hmm. so yeah. maybe they'll continue with it but uh i'd like for them to bring sonata into just four guys and then they jump him out real quick <laughs> like that time when um jim the name jim the anvil neidhart thought he was joining dx
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> and they jumped his ass out. i
0: hope they do that to sonata
1: yeah, I mean, I, again, I think yeah, the, the Naito match, I think, should answer some questions of kind of what's happening next, and yeah, maybe the thing where yeah, he beats Naito, then he's like, yeah, I, I no longer want to be under Naito, and that leads to him teaming with just four guys or doing something with Tai Chi, maybe. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll we'll see. I'll have to wait and see what happens.
0: Well, it's a big match, and I guess we'll we'll talk about it here in a little bit, but yeah.
1: Yeah. So then, I'm uh, moving on to night six. We had Narita and Oiwa defeating Oscar Lube and Hanma. Uh, Umino and Nakashima uh, defeating Vegeta and Sabre. Owens, Finley, ELP, and Kenta defeating Just Four Guys. Great Ocon, Jeff Cobb, Mark Davis, and Will Ospreay defeating House of Torture. Bushi, Hiromusanada, Shingo, and Naito defeating Leo Rush, Ishi, Yano, Yo, and Yoshihashi. And then our tournament matches second round action. We had the never open weight champion Tama Tonga defeating Aaron Hanare 16 minutes and 34 seconds.
0: Yeah, we had Jeff Cobb on commentary this night as well, I believe. And uh, yeah, he did another uh, great job. And I I really enjoyed having him there to call Aaron Hanare's match against Tama Tonga Um, Tamma's a guy who, like, he's been on the tour, he's been having, you know, undercard matches, and they've mostly been pertaining to the preview for his tournament matches, but I haven't gotten a strong feel for any, you know, a direct potential challenger for the Never title right now, so I find that kind of interesting. But, um, you know, they 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 talked about how if Hanare had beaten him here, He might potentially have a claim for a never title shot. Obviously, that didn't happen, but I thought this match was very good, very strong. Not in the same league as Hanari and Shingo was from a few nights prior, but Hanari had a very short turnaround before his second round cup match against a a fresh Tamatanga, and uh, the match was very, very good. What I loved the most, though, is down the stretch, Aaron Hanari was uh, looking pretty dominant and was preparing to uh, hit the Streets of Rage on Tamatonga. and as they were falling into it, Tama was able to counter mid-air out of the Streets of Rage into a gun stunt, and then, you know, as a, you know, uh, sort of just discombobulated, Hanari's just standing there, like tamatanga stands up hits him with the second one for good measure and puts his ass away like a really cool finish
1: yeah the finish was awesome i I popped for that yeah that gun stun reversal um but yeah i thought hanari looked really great in this matchup again it was was another hard-hitting uh matchup here i would say probably the only negative here for me was the the full nelson spot so you know um Hanari's been using the, the full Nelson. He calls it the, the Ultima. It's something he beats the Alliance with. But he had it here on uh, Tama. And, you know, the ref's doing the whole, you know, arm raise gimmick here. So, you know, he raises Tama's arm one time, it drops. Raises it a second time, it drops. Raises it a third time, and it drops. Nothing happens. And Tama kind of fires up and. Breaks out of the full Nelson which they even kind of brought up On commentary like why didn't Marty Asami call the match after the third Arm drop and I don't know if it was something where You know Tamla just kind of Botched and didn't Stop his arm from going down fast enough Or what the deal was But that, that was a little clunky there into why they didn't Why that wasn't a ref stoppage but They were able to get, kind of get out of that and led to the finish That we just talked about but that spot was a little bit weird
0: yeah, spot was a little bit weird, but um, you know it was pretty. At the same time, still exciting to see him apply. Uh, what is that move called? The Ultima. Yeah, he applied the Ultima, and I mean, I I sort of thought like, oh wow, like <laughs> like they're really going with this guy, you know?
1: Yeah, and you know they had a great thing on commentary because you know the previous match with Shingo, he had Shingo in the Ultima. And instead of keeping it on, he switched and tried to do the uh, Streets of Rage. And Cobb was saying on commentary, we told Hanare, don't let go of that Ultima. Like you're strong. You got it in. Nobody's going to break out. Don't let go of it. So with that commentary, I thought, oh, maybe this is—you know, he's going to keep the Ultima locked in. And that's how he's going to win.
0: Yeah, there seems to be that thing. We've talked about it. Several guys in New Japan have this tendency to... Uh, lock in a pretty strong submission and then opt out of it for whatever reason to go for a different you know impact finisher we've seen it with zack saber in the past we've seen it with suzuki uh we've seen it with sonata so this is not really a new tendency this is just another guy in a long line of individuals who do this for whatever reason but uh i'd kind of like to see Hanare's ultima face off with um the Hurt Lock from uh, Bobby Lashley. See who's got the stronger full
1: Nelson finish. You can throw in uh, Chris Masters in there at the Master Lock.
0: Well, we all know Chris Masters has the strongest <laughs> full Nelson finish there ever was. <laughs> who else did it? Was it Did Ivan Putsky used to do that? Someone else used to do it. I can't recall who.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, I feel yeah, there was a couple other people who had full Nelson for their finisher.
0: We need Hanari to start doing uh, Ultima challenges in the middle of the ring, in the middle of the show, you know?
1: Yeah, call, bring out a young lion and be like, you know, I'll, I'll give you X amount of yen if you can you can break out the Ultima.
0: Bro, he should challenge Shingo to an uh, Ultima challenge match. And the match is literally, if you can break out of the Ultima, you keep your title.
1: Dude, that would be hilarious. And then he wins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, So, yeah, so great stuff here. Tamatanga uh, getting the win, but Hanare looked great in defeat here.
0: Yeah, Hanare looked good in defeat. He moves on. He, his stock has been risen quite a bit in this uh, tournament. Tamatanga looks like an established champion uh, picking up the win, but uh, we're kind of at a point where I don't know uh, who his next challenger is going to be, but maybe it's going to be the winner of this match. Potentially, we'll see.
1: Yeah, so then the main event was Hiroki Goto defeating Kyle Fletcher 20 minutes and 43 seconds. And
0: and this match was um, not necessarily, in my opinion, quite at the same level as Fletcher's previous match with uh, Yoshihashi, but it was pretty close. And um, while I felt this match was a little bit slower in the early goings, it really picked up down the the tail end stretch and we saw some pretty crazy stuff i mean kyle fletcher did um you know basically a a moonsault off the top rope to the outside on hiroki goto which we've seen you know different people use that move in the past kenny omega kota abushi uh you know hangman adam page but i think kyle fletcher's taller than all of them he's build at six four i don't know if that's legit but i feel like it is and that's pretty big for a guy his size to be hitting you know hiroki goto with a standing moonsault to the outside off the top rope like that's kind of nuts
1: yeah um and goto was uh do some cool stuff in this match too he busted out that uh second rope sunset flip from the top that he usually doesn't do much more often but busted i mean that, that was out. a code red right yeah code red off the top yeah
0: yeah, that was incredible. There was a lot down going down the the last few minutes of the match. They hit a lot of incredible, believable near falls, huge lariats, uh, super kicks. Um, like we mentioned, that uh, code red spot. Uh, Kyle Fletcher was able to successfully hit the uh, spinning tombstone again on um goto but for whatever reason goto was able to kick out of it where yoshihashi wasn't i sort of had to imagine for a second when that happened in k i was like well i mean goto's been hit by by spinning uh tombstone from okada so many times at this
1: <laughs> <point."> yeah
0: <laughs> his neck's probably a bit more conditioned and and uh, you know using some uh some king's road logic here like <laughs> he's dealt with this before
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> that, that's nothing new for him
0: But, um, oh, uh, Kyle Fletcher hit a really incredible uh, brain buster at one point, too, which, you know, I kind of wonder, Jeremy, like they call regular suplexes over their brain busters. What do they? How do they react when they see a real brain buster? Like, I don't What's the nuance and the difference? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I I don't I don't know. I I haven't really paid attention to the Japanese call and see like what they call it. But it's weird. You got to think they would pop bigger for it. A American brainbuster versus just a a vertical suplex.
0: I mean, I do. I love when people get dropped on their dome.
1: <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Cobb Cob had a great line. He's like, "That that's not a brainbuster." And Kelly's like, "Why?" He's like, "Go doesn't have any brains." <laughs> 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 yeah, there's one
0: point where Cobb, someone got caught in a submission and they went to the ropes. I think it was during the Tamatonga Hanari match, and he's like, he he went to the ropes. He's like, "That's kind of weak," you know. He's like. And, <laughs> Kevin Kelly's like this is pro wrestling. He's like, yeah, but I feel like I as champion would never use the ropes to get out of a submission. That just makes you look weak. Yeah. <laughs> and then like uh, Kevin Kelly's like, all right, God, all right, Jeff, I'm gonna remember that the next time you're wrestling and you go to the ropes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this this match was really outstanding. Um, and then Goto, you know, he hit all his big trademark stuff: the uh, GTR, the uh, all that, all, all his, um, you know, famous moves. And I think he actually had to hit Kyle Fletcher with two GTRs to beat him, correct? Yeah. So really, really spirited outing. I think that this was a match where a lot of people were expecting Kyle to pick up two wins to sort of solidify his uh, tag title challenge. But to me, I sort of felt like, Goto's such an established, you know, uh, veteran and sort of a not quite main event star, but he's a upper mid card level talent. You have a young Kyle Fletcher who it just seemed to me from the Kayfabe perspective, probably a bit of a stretch to think that he's going to beat both members of Bishamon and continue on in the tournament. I sort of felt like his story was done here. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and I think you made a great point earlier where, you know, Fletcher was coming in, in this match out of the war of Yoshihashi where Goto had the first round bye, he, he's fresh, and so maybe Kyle Fletcher wasn't 100% going into this match.
0: Oh, you know, this is off subject too. One thing that um, Kevin Kelly posited as a explanation for the, the byes, he mentioned all the champions that had byes, right? Mm-hmm. And then it was like, well, what about the guys like uh, Chase Owens and I forget who the other person was that didn't Cobb are not yeah Cobb and it's like how did they get uh, buys and he was like they were wild card picks
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: like, I mean when, New Japan didn't say that but now that he's saying it I'm just gonna retcon it into the logic and I'm like okay that I that I don't even watch sports so I'm not sure how wild card works but yes that okay I, I, that that jives with me I
1: guess. <laughs> yeah it, it's viable
0: <laughs> it's viable i suppose although it still doesn't make sense when like shingo didn't get a first round by it he is the
1: KOPW. you know uh but he's provi- a provisional champion he's a
0: provisional champion but he's got a gold belt <laughs> 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 you know <laughs> they gave they gave great Khan a buy as the champion of the british like it doesn't make sense
1: <laughs> well yeah he's he's the undisputed rev pro british heavyweight champion
0: i guess <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah goto beating um kyle fletcher i makes more sense to me and i think that they've he he and mark davis did more than enough in this tournament to not only have a, a really great accounting for themselves and display their talents, but also showcase why they're um, you know deserving of another tag team title shot. and that combined with Kyle Fletcher's win over Yoshihashi and then him pushing Goto to the limit in their match, um, I think I think we'll see that title challenge come to pass here very shortly uh, in the fallout of this match but um yeah I, I think it makes more sense for goto to kind of continue on anyways just the fact that he's you know a new japan stalwart
1: yeah and yeah mr new japan cup you know mr mr march so I understand goto going through and i agree like they can still top the match uh, after um, fletcher's win over yoshihashi which could happen at the finals you know th- we have the hiromu uh, leo rush on that show so if you want to really build that final show up you could throw on uh bishamon versus Oxy open there
0: I, I see that as being more a uh Secret Secret Genesis. Genesis match.
1: yeah yeah i could do but, that but you know
0: i i just want to point out jeremy i know that i wasn't i haven't been perfect when it comes to predicting this tournament but there have been a few big calls that i've made early on that have projected like goto being the guy to kind of go through and, and a few other calls like that
1: yeah I have a question here from Reddit user uh, CPT88Kirk. Do you think it's Goto time? I'm ready for a Goto shot at Okada.
0: Well, I've lived through... (laughs) 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 It's just that, like, okay, granted, when you watch a match like this, right, and you hear so many people that hand wave and dismiss Goto as being the Dolph Ziggler of New Japan and this, you know, guy that can't get the job done and the perennial loser. I I get all that. But when you see what he's still capable of doing when it comes to in between those ropes and in that ring, he's so talented, man. Like he's still and we forget that sometimes. And I mean he's every bit in my opinion, I think he's every bit the same level of, of in-ring talent as a Tomohiro Ishii or Shingo Takagi. I, I don't think he's that far off from those guys. There's definitely something missing that, does, that doesn't allow him to get to those other levels, but it's not the actual in-ring work. He's so fucking good when he needs to be, and mm-hmm. that's what he was here with Kyle Fletcher. But yeah. if, I, if I'm going to sit here and tell you that they shouldn't be pushing Sonata... <laughs> In 2023, I, I just don't know that after eight times challenging unsuccessfully for the IWGP title and you know the last one being against Okada many, many years ago, that it's time for them to go to that well once again. Like The, the deal here is this. If you're going to have Goto challenge for the title, A, he probably shouldn't be a tag team champion. B, you really got to heat him up and C, he has to win. There's no point in doing another GoTo title challenge if he's going to lose again. Unless they just want to set the (laughs) all-time failed IWGP title shot, you know, record.
1: Yeah, that would be uh, pretty rough for GoTo to eat another championship loss like that. So,
0: which I think he actually owns the record, but it would just be
1: cementing it,
0: (laughs) broadening it even further.
1: Yeah. Uh, another question here from okay, okay, eight ninety. Do you think both Aussie open guys have a future as singles guys in New Japan down the line?
0: Well, we're gonna talk about the Mark Davis match uh, here in a moment. and I, I don't know necessarily if they both have futures as singles guys in New Japan uh solely like apart from the tag team, but it's viable. It's definitely something they could do if they wanted to.
1: Yeah, I think there is more upside in running with Kyle Fletcher as a singles guy. I mean, Mark Davis did great. We'll talk about the Osprey match. But as far as a a young guy, great size, great build, good looks, athletic, like hard hitting, fast pace. He can do flying like he's a guy that I think it makes it can make sense to invest in. In a singles run, kind of like, you know, sometimes with Killer Elite Squad, you know, you would do something with either Archer or Dave Boy Smith at times. So I think you can keep Aussie open together, but I think you could also push Kyle Fletcher when they are not challenging for the tag titles.
0: Well, I mean, I don't even know long term if they're going to stay with New Japan or if they're going to go somewhere else, because uh, keep in mind, as far as we know, currently, they're not even signed to the brand. So you have to kind of keep that into consideration and since their whole career has success has mainly been predicated on them being a tag team i don't see them breaking up and going singles unless they have some sort of really major personal fallout that you know doesn't allow them to continue to work together or um they're gonna need to be signed because they're gonna need some sort of certain um assurances from a company whether it be new japan or wwe or AEW or something that they're you know that their uh, legacy or not legacy what what's the word i don't know what the word is i'm tired that basically that they that their lively that's the word <laughs> that their livelihoods um have a certain level of insurance because once you split up for the most part there's no putting the genie back in the bottle You know? Right, yeah. But, I definitely think that both guys have the goods in almost every aspect of wrestling, personally. I think they both could be top single stars or utility players in whatever manner you want to use them. But, um, you know, it's one of those things. They're going to need to be signed. Like, there's no point in them breaking up and shooting their, their gimmick in the foot if they're not under contract somewhere
1: right yeah that that could be detrimental to their careers if yeah they potentially split and then new japan's like i know we're not we don't want to use you guys anymore then yeah you kind of hurt that aussie open brand like you mentioned they just can't come back together and continue with what they were doing
0: i i I mean the rock and roll express did but (laughs) (laughs) not everybody's the rock and roll express
1: (laughs) yeah well let's move on to uh, night 7 here The last night we'll uh, review before we do the previews for what's coming this week uh, So we had Chase and Kenta Defeating Oscar Lube and Rennerita Shota Umino and Tamatonga Defeating Fujita and Zack Sabre House of Tortures, Dick Togo and Sho Defeating Just Four Guys, Taichi and Taka We had Aaron Hanara, Great Okan and Kyle Fletcher Defeating Finley, ELP and Gato we had Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, Shingo, and Naito defeating Goto, Leo Rush, Ishii, Yo, and Yoshihashi. And then our two tournament matchups, we had Evil defeating Jeff Cobb, 17 minutes and 42 seconds. Um,
0: Kind of very similar in certain regards to the rant that I had earlier. Uh, again, this is another match that was very lowly rated and i think part of it is outrage from the fact that people like jeff cobb people are fans of him they're fan of his style of working and had he won the match we would have had another uh i almost called him undisputed era uh united empire um interfactional match between him and will osprey which we haven't seen we've seen those two wrestle before but i don't believe we've seen them wrestle each other's united empire members is that correct Right, yeah. Okay. But instead, we're getting Evil versus Will Ospreay. (laughs) And um, the one thing I will say, though, as egregious as the cheating was in the uh, Renderita match earlier in the tournament, it was even turned up higher uh, in the Jeff Cobb match. Maybe that's because they needed to protect Jeff a little bit more. But this was way, 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 way over the top when it comes to shenanigans and cheating. I mean, it was just so much of it. Putting all that aside, I thought the actual wrestling was fine. I thought the match was fine. I probably would knock it a little bit, but it was probably three-star level, and then you, you dock it a little bit because of just how uh, exhausting the cheating uh, tropes really were.
1: Yeah, I think they were definitely going out of their way To make sure they protect Jeff Cobb And make it known Like if this was a fair, clean One-on-one match Cobb would have won And you know, they did do the smart thing here Cobb came out with the United Empire guys To try and fend off House of Torture But uh, House of Torture was able to Kind of outwit those guys and lay them out and take them to the back and they handcuffed uh great ocon to the railing he was on Japanese commentary so he he was stuck in the commentary position and he none of those guys could come out and make the save and you you had a four- on one on uh Jeff Cobb which which eventually led to evil hitting the, the everything is evil and uh, getting the win here and uh, we had a question here from Rdier solid Deuce How much should Marty Asami be fined for assaulting Evil?
0: What is he talking about? I don't know.
1: (laughs) Well, there there was a spot in this match where um, Evil was holding on to Asami, and he, like, kicked him off. He, like, pushed him off to allow Cobb to do the German suplex.
0: I forgot about that, but, yeah, (laughs) that's a funny joke. (laughs)
1: Uh, And then that moves to the the main event matchup where we had Will Ospreay defeating his United Empire stablemate, Mark Davis. 20 minutes and one second.
0: Jeremy, I loved this match. Um, I would go as far as to say, and I feel confidently about this, this is, in my opinion, the best match of the tournament so far. Um, I just really really loved this match, not only because I didn't we didn't expect necessarily to be getting a match between Will Osprey and Mark Davis at this juncture of the tournament. So it was kind of even surprising to even get it in the first place, but then they were so liberal with the violence against each other. I mean, they were smacking the f- this was one of the hardest hitting matches I've seen in New Japan in a long time, and that's really saying something because it's strong style, like it's a strong style company. And these guys were really whacking the shit out of each other. But not only was it the visceral violence that I loved, but it was the storytelling. Um, remember when people remember when there was no AEW and new Japan was the threat. And people used to say there was no stories in new
1: Japan. Mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, there are stories and they're They're called wrestling matches. And this one was an excellent one. And, one of the things I loved was the fact that will and Mark being teammates being so you know traveling the world together, living together having all this intimate knowledge of one another will was mindful enough to go after the damaged and uh, surgically repaired ACL of Mark Davis so not only was he kicking his knee and his upper thigh but he he started chopping his leg, which I don't think I've I've seen that I can recall in very many matches. He did it numerous times. And then at the same time, Mark Davis uh, was able to use his speed and size and his knowledge of Osprey's moveset to avoid a lot of pretty damaging uh, maneuvers throughout the match. And, you know, they, they, they told a body part storyline story within the match here, but one that was Super violent, super high octane, very fast paced. And these guys just had such natural chemistry with one another. It was just really, uh, really impressive. I mean, I I loved this match. And Mark was able to showcase his power and his speed, his fluidity. Uh, Some of the the things that he does are very Jeff Cobb-esque, but kind of even rival his athleticism to a certain degree. And it's kind of the reason I've I, I want to say I know we're so we talk a lot about how great Cal Fletcher is and the comparisons are going to be there because their teammates. Granted, Mark Davis is a little bit older and that's one of the probably marks against him. But when it comes to in ring work, he is so fucking good. And so is Will Ospreay. And, um, this match was really violent and very emotional and it really sucked me in and i i, I loved it
1: yeah this match was awesome man osprey was chopping the crap out of davis it was sounding off like a gunshot uh, mm-hmm. in that arena that they were laying in the strikes you know they say you, you hit your friends harder they were definitely doing that uh, here in this match, uh, Will busted out this—he called it the, the Storm Driver, like a Tiger Driver kind of thing, where he did the, the double arm um, power bomb kind of thing to Mark Davis. That was crazy looking. Got a great, almost
0: beat. like a, it's almost like a, a kind of quad. I mean, I, you can definitely tell he's trying to uh, uh, Allude to like a Gonzo bomb, but he's not dropping them quite that high angle. But it's pretty you know, impressive the way it looks.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, a lot of great just offense from both of these guys. Uh, like you mentioned, Oscar working on the legs, which kind of played into the finish of the match where, um, Davis was, he was trying to fire up and his leg gave out, which let well, the opportunity to hit the hidden blade from the front and, uh, get the win. Yeah. He, he ends up picking up the win here, uh,
0: after Davis had avoided, Multiple, several. Um, uh, what's that move called? <laughs> the uh, Stormbreaker? Not the Stormbreaker. <laughs> it is uh, Hidden Blade. Hidden he tried Blade, to hit yeah. him with Hidden Blade multiple times and he kept avoiding it. Ultimately, at the end, uh, Hidden Blade was his undoing. And um, yeah, I just, I, I really love this match. It had an incredible psychology and it was very fun, very fast paced. The match just kicked ass. I mean, I'd probably go like, Still like four and a quarter, but this was just awesome. If you haven't seen it, I can't recommend it uh, high enough. I mean, I, I I might even think it's probably potentially a contender for uh strong style fight of the year.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a, a go out of your way and watch. If you're one of those people who are just cherry picking the best stuff from the tournament, you definitely need to watch this match. A yeah, very hard hitting um, great chemistry between these guys Based off their, their real life friendship and relationship And uh, yeah just a match Like you were saying we, were, we didn't expect And it uh, delivered it, it was awesome and so uh, With that win yeah Osprey will move On to face Evil in the next Round and also With that win we saw You know another United Empire member drop um, You know at first you know they were all Moving advancing but we, we lost Cobb Davis Fletcher on, on this stretch and, and hanare so yeah osprey is now the the only remaining united empire member in the tournament
0: and two um we forgot to mention is that during the shenanigans and and all the chaos that occurred in the prior match um the house of torture had gone ahead and handcuffed great O'Con, who was on commentary to the barricade but they never unhandcuffed him so then the main event comes and he's still handcuffed calling the match between his stable mates and then once the match is over like uh Will tries to come over and talk to him and he's like I don't have a key so then like he just has to cut his promo and O'Conns like still shaking that like yeah <laughs> he's, he's like he's, like, he's like
1: help me Will help me <laughs> 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 and then the funny thing is like everybody's gone to the back the crowd is leaving and O'Conn is still handcuffed, he's still, handcuffed. It was so funny. <laughs> he's still trying to get out the crowd's like laughing as they walk by him to the exit and he's just like they're like really just trying to get out it was hilarious
0: yeah it was really really good stuff so <laughs> but yeah um he cut a post-match promo and promised that he's gonna take out evil which i'm not i hope he does but i i don't know that that's a big match
1: yeah, especially big, in, big stakes. Yeah, if people think this whole you know Sonata LJ story thing is happening, all signs point more towards evil. But I, I guess we'll have to see what happens here. I mean, Osprey Sonata—they've had great matches in the past, and if you you want to really heat up Sonata, I think a, a win over Osprey would would do a lot for him, especially if he's going to win this whole thing.
0: Mm, yeah,
1: uh, we had a question from Rambo and Slam Pig. It says who has. Overperformed in the tournament relative to your expectations so far. Who was underperformed? Is there anyone you think should be on the bubble for future tournament slots?
0: Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, hmm. I don't. Uh, who do you think is over or underperformed? I don't know. What do you think?
1: I think underperformed. I would probably say maybe Tetsuya Naito. Like he's had, that's a good that's a good point. Good matches, but when you look back at the ELP match, like I felt like that had potential to be better. Um, I I feel like the chase match could have been better. Like he's having fine, like you mentioned, fine road to performances. He's not, he's not trying his his hardest.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I would. I know this is gonna sound a little crazy. But I do feel like Sonata is a little bit underperforming. I know he had the great match with tai Chi, but it sort of feels like Taichi is the one that made that match. Mm-hmm. And then the Kenta match was, you know, pretty abysmal. So I and considering all the tools that Sonata has, I feel like he might be underperforming to especially considering at one point this was like his tournament. Like we sort of expected him to really turn up during New Japan Cup. And it, it, I don't think that's happening right now.
1: Yeah. Uh, I know he's only had one match, but I would say... Finley? Dave, yeah, Dave Finley has yeah. overperformed um, based off that banger he had with Ishii last week and really just kind of establishing his new in-ring style and this new character that he has being a part of Bull Club.
0: I do think... I would say as far as overperforming, um, I think both members of Aussie Open have to be kind of in consideration, even though they're both out of the tournament at this point. They They did fantastic. As far as underperforming, I know we're he's only had one match, but you have to mention Umino, uh, mm-hmm. even though it was a Ujiro match. He's got the Zack Sabre Jr. match on the docket coming up here, I think tomorrow or the next day, and that's going to be a big test, and that will kind of tell us a little bit more. But if he goes out there and he has an underwhelming performance against Zack Sabre Jr. as well as Ujiro, then he's definitely in territory for underperforming in the tournament.
1: Yeah. And as far as people who should be on the bubble, I mean, you I I know you need pen eaters, but I, I feel like there are other pin eaters you could rotate. Like I would have rather maybe you th- you throw Hanma in as a pen eater versus a user. Uh I think he needs to stop being in tournaments at this point.
0: Uh I could see Yano not needing to be in the tournament any longer mm. as well. Yeah. But you know. Um but I don't know if I would I don't know if I would list anybody else in particular. I think that some of these guys that have been included like Aussie Open, that will remain to be seen what what uh, a new Japan Cup looks like next year, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well let's uh preview the tournament matches that we have uh coming up. So uh tomorrow, March fifteenth. We'll have some more second round matches. We'll have uh, David Finley versus Great O'Con and Zack Saber Jr. versus Shota Umino.
0: Those are both two matches I'm very much looking forward to. We haven't seen Great O'Con in the tournament at all thus far, and you know every year he's got his supporters and those people that think that he needs to be heated up and be given a big push, but. It's got a huge obstacle in front of him in in a surging David Finley, newly rebranded Rebel Club version. So that this is going to be a good test for both guys. It's going to be very interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I, I do think Great O'Connor. I'm in that camp but he needs to start winning more. He needs to get a, a push, but. Yeah, he's going up against uh, a red hot David Finley who was you know, Taking the mantle of, of being The Bullet Club leader and they're doing this Whole Bullet Club storyline um, So unless there's some Shenanigans where ELP Potentially costs Finley the match somehow I'm thinking Finley is going to Get the win here
0: I I agree
1: um, Then uh, Zach Sabre Jr. And Chota Umino um, we, We've seen Umino When he's in there with super talented people. He has some really great matches, and so um, I I think Zach here will will lead Umino into a a great matchup here.
0: I don't know if I would put my confidence as far as you uh, on the same level as you have, Jeremy, but I think that it's probably a likelihood that it will be a great match just considering the fact that it's Zach, so I'm right there with you. But I'm thinking that Umino is going to beat Zack Sabre Jr. for the same reason that I predicted um, uh, Shingo to take a loss to Hinari. It just seems to be the most logical step to establish a, another challenger for that TV title. And with it being a youth belt, Umino's right up that alley. And he really could benefit from a big uh, win against an established guy like Zach, especially considering how how many times he's won this tournament in recent uh, years. So I think the match is going to be really good. And I, I I'm looking forward to it, but uh, like I said, there, there have been questions, even going back to some of those Will Ospreay matches in Rev pro, there have been people who've been saying for a while that Umino isn't the full complete total package and that something is missing. And I think a lot of those people that were saying that feel vindicated after his most recent singles matches. So, this is uh, this is going to be a big test for him, one way or the other.
1: Yeah, that leads to a question from word user uh, CPT88Kirk. says, I've heard a lot of flack for Umino's performance in this match against Naito. But my hot take is, I'm not a big fan of Naito main event matches. I think Umino and ZSJ are going to have a strong match to show Umino is still on track to be great. Thought.
0: Well, I think you're echoing some of the sentiments we have about this match in particular as far as uh, I, I don't know. I, I believe um, this question or this uh, listener is a newer listener to the show. And so maybe he hasn't heard necessarily like the the times where we have uh, <laughs> had less than positive things to say about Tetsu Naito and then we got like buried for it all over the <laughs> internet. <laughs> but, you know, Um, there's no denying how big a star Naito is. And there's no denying that when it's time for him to have a big match, like a really, really, really big match next level that with the right people, he can go and and go out there and, and, you know, kill it. I mean, look at his series last year with uh, Okada and um, Will Ospreay. But at the same time, this is the, just like i said earlier in the show it's the same guy for every osprey match there's other matches that should be really really good and they just aren't and part of it is ring rust or like ring wear wear and tear all the years that he's put on his body some of it is disinterest some of it's politics some of it is uh who knows what it is with 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 uh naito but there are those people out there that still believe wholeheartedly they support the guy to the nth degree they love him they they're ride or die for him they think he needs to be the head of the company and like be champion forever but we on this show or at least me speaking of myself like we see his faults we see his flaws i understand i agree with you to a certain extent i don't blame all of that matches uh you know miss mishaps on a green to Umino. I do think that it's a little bit of a black eye on Tetsuya Naito, who's supposed to be the person carrying a green uh, Umino to a great match. Something that Will's been able to do multiple times, but Naito, for whatever reason on that night, wasn't able to do it.
1: Yeah, I think we've seen several main events. You, know, you mentioned Naito Suzuki. I can think about Naito and Kenta from Osaka before the pandemic. Like, there's been a evil, yeah. Naito Naito and Jay White, Mm -hmm. yeah. There's been a lot of big Naito main events where they have not delivered, and some of that does fall on Naito. And like I mentioned previously, with with the Naito Umino match, I thought the whole match was just not even structured in, in a right way. To, to help Umino at all, I feel like Umino was fighting an, an uphill battle for that for that whole match the way it was structured and the the way that Naito was performing there. Um, so yeah, I do think that again we talked about earlier about you know veterans who are good with um, you know young lions or, or rookies, and I don't think Naito is necessarily the best guy for that. And so obviously Will Ospreay is a great guy for that, and I do think that Zach. Um can, can be great for that, and I, and I know Zach can if he wants to eat up Umino here with his wrestling. But I feel this is,
0: this is my, oh, I'm sorry. So
1: I feel like this is going to be a great chance for Umino to really kind of show what he's got.
0: My feeling on Naito is basically this: you put him in there with a world class guy on a big stage, meaning your Shingos, your uh, Kenny Omegas, your Okadas, your Ospreys. Or even, like, um, obviously, a bushy, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to go out there and he's going to have a killer match. Just incredible. But with how much ring, like, wear and tear he has on his body and everything, he just can't go out there and do that the way he... I mean, young Naito is a totally different story and a different guy than, than the one we have in 2023. And... You put him in there with someone that's... uh, Like, for instance, the Sonata match we're going to talk about. I don't know what that looks like. And I don't have high hopes it's going to act... Even though it's interesting from a storyline perspective, I don't don't think it's going to be very good, to be honest with you. Yeah. (laughs) And I just think that's where Naito is. Like, Naito's not somebody... And I know there are people that are listening that are probably angry and love the guy. But, like, he's... From just a truthful standpoint, he's not somebody that can go in there anymore with someone that's lower than him and tear the roof off the place. He, when has he done that?
1: Yeah. I can't really recall a time when he did that. I feel like he's, again, his great matches are always with people. Like you mentioned, the Okadas, the Omegas, the Tanahashi Sabres, people that are on, that are really great, that are on his level. And he can have a great match with, but yeah, somebody that's below him, uh, a mid Carter or a young lion or up and comer, those matches don't always end up being great.
0: No, I, I can't think. I mean, I guess we could, like, dig through it. But, like, there's been a lot of times where you think you'd have great matches, and there's not.
1: Yeah. So that moves into uh, night nine, March 17th, where we'll have uh, Sonata versus Naito in one of the quarterfinal matches. And the other quarterfinal match will be Evil versus Will Ospreay. The show's happening happening uh, from Cork and Hall. This is where we're getting down to the nitty gritty, Jeremy.
0: Because Sonata is a guy; there definitely there's a narrative and there's a story behind him on this side of the bracket. You know, um, whether that continues on after this match or not remains to be seen. And I think obviously Finley on the other side of the bracket is kind of in the same boat, where there's a, there's a, a a you know a tournament wide story behind both those two guys. But neither of them right now feel like somebody that you can where, where are they doing Sakura Genesis? It's in Sumo Hall, right? Yeah, I think so. You can't fill a building that size with Okada versus either of them as it stands today. You have to really do some serious work <laughs> between now and then to, to get a match like that prepped and viable. Whereas on the flip side, you've got established draws and stars in naito and will osprey and zach saber jr and uh it's going to be interesting to see if they go with one of these more fresh-faced or uh less proven commodities than if they go with the status quo pick like a Tetsu naito um and it kind of depends on what your opinion is of the tournament moving forward. Like is, is this just a tournament made for Naito and we don't see it and that's what's happening, uh, which is totally possible or even will Ospreay. Like we kind of, um, you know, uh, we've been a little dismissive of the idea. I, I sort of thought that will would wind up against, uh, against Yano so he could get Yanoed, so that there wouldn't be as much flack when he lost later in the tournament, you know? Yeah. But now that he's got evil in front of him and the rest of the LIJ trio on this side of the bracket, I'm like, maybe he maybe he just goes through and he wins. <laughs> and maybe, maybe we're about to get a huge match between him and Okada. We don't even realize it, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, that would be incredible. I mean, definitely down for Osprey Okada. Uh, but yeah, I think that with Sonata. I think either w- whether he wins or loses, there are creative things they can do to tell his story. Like if he loses, that that could be the straw that breaks the count of his back, and he he finally fully snaps and you know does something different and turns on Lij or leaves Lij. Or having him win could be something also too that gets him to to leave Lij. So. Think there's some different options they could do there with that matchup, and I guess, yeah, we'll see if there's this was a real push to get Sonata in the main event, or like you mentioned, if they're gonna go status quo, go with Naito. Um, because I could s- easily see them doing a Naito Osprey semi final to kind of pick up back from the series of matches they did last year.
0: Yeah, I hadn't really thought of that because it, it, prior to the most recent couple of years that just didn't seem like the kind of match they would do in a new Japan, new Japan cup semifinal that sort of in the past has seemed more like the kind of match you would see in the first round, you know? Yeah. Um, typically in a tournament like this, neither of these guys would be going that deep so that they would be in a semi semifinal against one another. Um, so, you know, some of these uh, booking patterns are uh, deferring a bit from what I'm personally used to seeing from uh, ghetto in years past, which is probably a a good thing because it's keeping things fresh. But uh, I don't know, man, I'm very, very, very torn on this whole thing because I, I see this, not a story. And I, I see where it could go. I think that all four of these guys have a lot of, interpersonal connections and recent even you know recent history with one another sonata and osprey you know they had that feud over the u.s title last year and sonata was injured by will and, and the referee stoppage and everything like that um, will and naito they had that incredible two match series this would be like the trilogy match for them obviously sonata naito and evil all have the lij ties with one another so it's really hard for me to pick here um i will tell you this though i'm not in. i'm not excited for either match because as much as i love will osprey i don't see him carrying evil to you know even if it is better than what we are used to seeing from evil it's not going to be a great match and it's not a naito i know it's interesting on paper but i just don't think it's gonna be good either (laughs) i don't think night nine is going to be particularly strong
1: yeah i think It's going to be definitely a more story Night than like a a great match Night but like you mentioned all four Of these guys have chemistry like I could See Sonata Osprey, Night to Evil um, Evil Sonata like Whatever way they go it makes sense There's history with the guys there's a story to tell with all different pairs Of matchups so it's an Unpredictable night it might not be a a Great match quality night but it's very unpredictable um, Because there's multiple ways It can go and it would all make sense
0: another thing I was thinking about is like, what if they're wanting to take this, the title off of Okada soon, then the, the, the person in this tournament that maybe fits the bill for being able to take the title off of him, um, in, in you know, might be Will Ospreay. Yeah. You might, you might have Will Osprey win. I know he's won the tournament before, but you might have him win again and then have him just go through and, what if he beats Okada? And what if that's setting up something between him and Kenny? You know, a big money match that we haven't even thought of.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think most people are just assuming that it would be a straight up, you know, Will challenging Kenny again. But yeah, you could have Will win the world title and then you set up a big champion versus champion match. And Kenny's like, hey, I beat you for the U.S. title in January. Now you're the world champ. I want to beat you for that, too. And then whether, whether that's in Japan or Forbidden Door too that's a huge money match with the stakes even higher now with a, uh, with Osprey being the world champion.
0: Yeah, that's something I've thought of. I don't know. Um, But you know, Naito obviously is coming off of the big Tokyo Dome win over Kijimuto, a couple other big wins recently. So he's also in contention. This is a, these are some pretty high stakes matches more so than what we saw in the first two rounds of the tournament. So I I'm very much at a loss here. I mean, what, Gun to your head, Jeremy. What do you think's happening here?
1: Uh I'm going to go with Sonata versus Evil. Hmm.
0: See, that's that's what I've been predicting this whole time. I just didn't think that we would need to go through Will Osprey and Tetsuya Naito to, to get there.
1: Right. You know? Yeah. I just feel like I feel like they're trying to rehab evil and they're also trying to, you know, push Sonata. So I, and I think it, it would just make, with what they're doing, I think it makes the most sense to go Sonata Evil here.
0: I don't know what's going to happen in the next round, but I think we might be getting Sonata versus Will Osprey again.
1: Yeah, and again, like I said, that they have history and they have great matches. So again, that could make sense, but I just feel like with the whole, if you want to go this whole LIJ kind of thing, beating Naito and then beating Evil, I think, just a story there.
0: I agree with you. I'm just at a point where so much of my bracket and predictions have been busted where I'm just at a loss anyway. So it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. I mean I would prefer <laughs> I would prefer Osprey to win um to get, you know, the better matches and lead to a better better final. Uh, I would You're right I would prefer Osprey Sonata or Osprey Naito. Uh, but hopefully they they go that way, but we'll see. Um, okay, okay, 890 asks, would Evil beating Jeff Cobb and Ospreay back-to-back hurt the UE's credibility in you? Uh, No. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Um, I mean, again, Evil, formidable champion. They've kind of established him, and, and they've established that he can kind of beat anybody, so I, I don't think it hurts him. It's a tough sport. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Night 10, March 18th. Uh, more quarterfinal matches, we'll have Hiroki Goto versus Tamatanga, and then David Finley versus the winner of ZSJ and Umino. So, I think
0: I think there's definitely a possibility where you could have Goto beat Tamatanga and be the next viable challenger for the Never title, um, and I think that's what I predicted so far. So, that's definitely on the table but you know David Finley I, I I think I'm he's the one person where I'm like very confident he's going through no matter what. So whether it's Zach or Omino, David Finley's gonna win. I think he's gonna beat Shota Umino personally. And so with that in mind, the question I have to ask myself is David Finley beating Tamatonga? Uh, a bigger deal like more meaningful or you know him beating Goto
1: yeah I, I think beating Goto might be the way to go just because Goto is Mr. New Japan Cup and plus he's a tag team champion whereas if he beats Tama I think people will be thinking Finley's going to get a never title match in the future. And obviously, I know they've done stuff where you you beat a champion; and it doesn't actually lead to anything. We've seen that happen in G one before, um, right? But I, I feel like New Japan Cup is more of the tournament where they do try to connect dots on who's being who in in the brackets for championship matchups. And so, I don't think Tamam needs to lose to Finley if they're not going to go with a never tile direction.
0: Here's the only thing with that: what if David Finley is getting? What if he's winning the tournament?
1: Mm-hmm. If he's
0: winning the tournament and he's getting a title shot against uh, Okada, then it negates the win over Tamatonga entirely. It's an afterthought, and it's not leading to anything. And that is a possibility.
1: Yeah, I, I just feel like you you get, you get a better setup of a never title challenger by having Goto win than having to do something different if Tam just won.
0: I agree with you. My the only thing I think detractors and people that are arguing against that might say as they might say Goto's in the tag team and he's the current tag team champions. And that would be like, uh, you know, a distraction from his story that he has going. But at the same time, this past year, even in January, February, we saw, you know, uh, Shingo involved in three different, you know, <laughs> major storylines simultaneously. So it's not out of the realm of possibility for Goto to be involved in two title, um, you know, feuds
1: right and we just saw okada um the world champion trying to get the tag team title so um, right we've seen seen it happen so yeah they could do go to yeah as a tag champion trying to get the world title
0: well the the interesting thing here is we're getting down to the nitty-gritty because by the time we come back to record next week will be past night 11 and be heading to night 12, which is the finals. We'll be recording a a day or two before the finals. So the semifinals are going to be taking place on March 19th, this coming weekend. And basically the final two of the left side of the bracket and the final two of the right side of the bracket will be facing off and we'll know what the finals look like when we record this show next week? Yeah. See, so, yeah. and I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. The only thing I'm very positive about is David. Fin- I think David Finley is going to the semifinals no matter what.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Finley is going all the way to the finals. I I wonder if he should just win the tournament if he's going to the finals. I mean, he probably should I mean, he's the one guy that really does need to be If he's going to be the Bullet Club leader like He needs to be established as a main eventer Considering where he's come from You know, he's kind of been just the, the, the mid-card guy And so if he's going to be the Bullet Club leader I think he does need to be established as a main eventer And what better way to do that than having him win this 2 Japan Cup And having a matchup with Okada
0: I also wonder if him beating Tamatanga isn't more impactful because of the Bullet Club ties and because Mm. of Tamatanga being one of the founding members and him having defeated Jay and all of that sort of stuff, you know?
1: Yeah, that, yeah, didn't even think about that. That, that makes sense. It's very tough. This is a
0: really, really hard one to call. Um, I think I'm going to kind of go with what I've sort of, I think it's going to be Goto and Finley and then um, Sonata and Will as the final
1: two,
0: um, as the final four on the 11th, or I'm sorry, on the 19th.
1: Yeah, I'm having a hard time choosing between that. Uh, sonata naito evil will osprey Night, but I, I think it's gonna come down for the finals sonata and finley
0: i think so too and also well i mean maybe not it, at the same time like i still have that there's that that thing in the back of my head where it's like it's naito and it's osprey and it's the super. you know it's uh what a, where is that show taking place <laughs>
1: I think it's Sumo Hall. Let me, uh, well, it's in uh, Sonata's hometown. I know that. Um, I, I don't know where Seiya
0: Sonata's from. <laughs>
1: Hold on, let's see. I'm pulling up the uh, schedule here. Let's see. New Japan Cup. Tuesday, of March 21st. Ryugoku. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah.
0: They're doing Ryogoku. That's Sumo Hall, right?
1: Yes. Ryogoku Sumo Hall. Yep.
0: Okay. So... I'm just, part of me is also like, it's Sumo Hall, you need an Ospreay or an Aito to place, you know, to play the foil to Okada, that's the, I'm like, if they do go with David Finley, they might as well just put the belt on him, probably, like, yeah, super push, you know? So I, I'm, I'm very torn on this because I know that from a narrative standpoint, Sonata and David Finley makes the most sense, but from a business standpoint, I don't know if I have the faith in either of those two guys, even as even as great as David Finley's doing. I, I don't know if I see that, and maybe I'm wrong.
1: Yeah, and I just got some news that could affect this tournament.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Will's hurt. I forgot to bring that up. Did, is that what you're seeing?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, we got the uh, the black and white uh, Lion Mark logo here. Will Osprey s- sustained shoulder injury absent from Okayama event um so they have changed i forgot
0: to tell you about that um (laughs) i I, we didn't even talk about it off the air i I thought you knew did you not know until just now
1: no i knew in the davis match that he hit his shoulder on the guardrail and davis working over the shoulder and then he was talking to kevin kelly afterward and saying you know the shoulder's kind of banged up i might dislocated it it hurts a lot
0: i know Um, where he got hurt so what happened uh they said that basically when um, they did that spot where Mark Davis lifted the uh, the um, protective covering off the floor
1: mm-hmm. and put it
0: over uh, Will and then hit him with the running on Yeah. Yeah, that was when he did that. Uh, apparently, Will says that he heard a shoulder pop. The reason I had brought it up to is I wasn't totally sure if this was a work or if this was, you know, uh shoot or not but they were saying uh, from what i read earlier today that he's probably going to be off all the shows until potentially the evil match but he might not be he might not be medically clear for the evil match come the 17th
1: yeah and i mean again it could be um a work and a way to get him out of the tournament without beating him um or they did they did the black and white though that, that, that's true, but... They never... I mean, say what you want about
0: this company, but they never do the black and white logo if it's a, a work.
1: Yeah. Unless they're trying to make it the work now. Who knows, but... They
0: could. I mean, yeah. you can't put anything past them, of course, but yeah.
1: Yeah, so yeah. So that changed up some magic. So some undercard stuff. Um, On the 13th, like it'll be uh, Nakashima and... Uh, Nakashima versus Aaron Hanare, and then um, there's going to be a matchup where it's Goto, Yoshihashi, and Oiwa um, against Cobb, Davis, and Fletcher.
0: Nice. So um, what do you think, uh, again, before we jump into the final news and wrap up the show, what what were your final four based off that? You've got Sonata and
1: Evil. Yeah, so not a evil. And then I'm going to go Tamatonga. You're talking about Tamatonga. I'm going to go Tama Dave Finlay.
0: One of the big reasons I'm not picking Tamatonga is just it's Gaijin, Gaijin. Yeah. And that's another thing, too. They've never had an all Gaijin um, New Japan Cup final as well. So that's another thing I kind of have in the back of my mind as well.
1: Right, which is why I'm going Sonata and Evil on the left side. Yeah, So two Japanese on the left, two um, foreigners on the right.
0: The good thing is we're probably all wrong and we'll find out (laughs) by the time we record next week what's really happening.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh man, so let's jump into the news here real quick and close the show out. So New Japan will return to Long Beach, California in May. The promotion announced its resurgence event will be held at the Walter Pyramid in Long Beach on Sunday, May 21st. Ticket for the show's uh, will go on sale on Wednesday, March 15th, with prices ranging from $25 all the way up to $299. New Japan's Collision Weekend Capital Collision slash Collision in Philadelphia uh, has been announced. LIJ will be back in the U.S., Naito, Hiromu, Sonata hit D.C. and Philly, El Desperado will also be at both events, and Lance Archer will be competing on the Philly shows. Uh, NJPW's crossover event with Impact, the Multiverse United on March 30th has uh, some matches announced. We got Mickey James defending her knockout title against Diana Purrazzo, Giselle Shaw and Tokyo Joshi pros Miyu Yamashita. I also think that uh, from what I understand, Gis- Giselle Shaw is a uh, transgender wrestler, so this might be like the first time ever an openly transgender wrestler competes for New Japan. Um, It's also interesting because typically because of their startup connection, I don't normally think they would have a Tokyo Joshi Pro wrestler on the show, but they do have uh, Mio Yamashita there. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, Kushida will be taking on Josh Alexander. Will Ospreay versus Speedball Mike Bailey. Moose versus Jeff Cobb. The Impact World Tag Team titles will be defended by uh, Chris Bay and Ace Austin as they defend against Badger Tito and Shane Hayes, as well as the Mercy Machine Guns and Aussie Open. So we have a four-way there. The X-Division title will be defended by Trey Miguel. He'll put his X-Division title on the line against five other men, Frankie Kazarian, Rich Swan, um, Who's Jetsify? That's uh, Kevin, Kevin Knight. Kevin Knight, Clark Connors, and Rocky Romero. Kenta will defend uh, the strong open weight title against Minoru Suzuki, which they've been alluding to on the undercard of the current uh, tour. And then uh, Fred Rosser, Sammy Callahan, PCO, and Alex Coughlin will be taking on Joe Hendry, Jer Kratos, Tom Lawler, and is that t- Tom Lawler? Yeah. Yep. And Eddie Edwards. Uh, the WrestleCon Mitch Mark Hitchcock Memorial Super Show will feature a match between Davey Richards as he teams up with Filthy Tom Lawler to take on Kenta and Brian Keith. Uh, there's another announced match for Bloodsport 9, Jeff Cobb versus Bad Dude Tito. New Japan announced tamashi shows in australia for 414 in adelaide at the hindley street music hall 415 in sydney at liberty hall and 416 in melbourne at the croxton i promise you guys we will be watching those tamashi shows and one at some point one way or another and we will be giving you a review um josh from the we work stiff podcast uh put out a tweet that we reshared this uh earlier today Uh, from the World Series of Wrestling Australia event, where Robbie Eagles lost a singles match to TJP. I believe it was for uh, an inaugural title. But after the match, TJP offered a United Empire uh, band to Robbie Eagles. Robbie took the band, but didn't necessarily align with the, the United Empire. And there was a lot of buzz about this. We do have a question. Okay, okay, 890 said thoughts on Eagles potentially joining United Empire. I personally feel like United Empire already have the max amount of members you can have without a faction getting too crowded. TMDK, on the other hand, are very short of members and need a junior.
1: I don't know. I feel like United Empire makes more sense for Robbie for several reasons. It first of all, it kind of fits the whole vibe of you know everybody kind of being a part of a different Country a quote unquote different Empire you can get the Australia Representation um, with, By having uh, Robbie Eagles in there I know they have Aussie open too but having him in there and then Also there's just that history With um, Eagles and Will Ospreay and you know Osprey initially giving Eagles like The chaos uh, The flag and getting him in chaos but then Joining Bull Club and then eventually Join chaos and the Birds of Prey tag team and even though, like, Will, you know, turned heel and left chaos, there was never we never saw any like breakups between the birds of prey. It, you know, Will just kind of went his way, and Robbie went his way, so they never really established them having heat with each other. So I, I could see them kind of piggybacking up on that relationship and having Robbie, you know, team back up with Will.
0: You're giving us a lot of Lord Jeremy just because there's a lot of lore doesn't mean he should be in the group. But you know what I think? The hmm. best person to ask this question to is Robbie Eagles. Maybe it's time we send out the uh, the Aussie signal and we call our good friend Robbie Eagles to make an appearance on Keeping It Strong style, if you know what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, well, Yeah, why speculate when we can get the man himself on the show and ask him the hard-hitting questions?
0: Yeah, the hard-hitting, unbiased questions that you have to answer even if you don't want to.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's going to do it for the news, so we have one question here. I'll just uh, ask the question since we're already here, and <laughs> that's going to do it for the show. Uh, Green Plasma underscore 49 said, has Gato's booking style run its course? Uh,
1: I don't know. Um, I feel like the, the booking his booking style has changed. I feel like COVID really kind of threw a wrench in his style and what he was doing. Um, but we, I mean, we do know that all good bookers kind of have a, a lifespan and, you know, maybe it, it's time for Gato to, to be rotated out. Uh, but overall, I mean, there's still some of the basic stuff he does that still works very well.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've kind of talked quite a bit about his booking tendencies and, and, um, patterns throughout this show and one thing i've noticed uh, recently and anyone that's been paying attention is that they've been subverting expectations quite a bit which is a good thing at the same time we are starting to uh kind of lull back into a more familiar pattern of booking schedules and that sort of thing which i think is good uh to a certain extent because a lot of gato's successes really did rely on having a reliable roster and a reliable schedule to book around which was thrown into flux during the uh the pandemic i think many of his successes are gonna come back full circle here in the near future personally and i do think that there's a need for them to modernize and change things up just a bit but there hasn't been enough failure at this point for me to feel like his booking style is has run its course or is failing. I just think it needs to be tweaked a little bit and given the opportunity, like a like a beautiful plant. You know, you need to give it sunlight, you need to give it fertilizer, fertilizer and soil, and all the the different things that are needed for it to blossom. And I feel like we're right now in the right condition for. His booking to uh, to thrive. Um, next question, he said, "Why is New Japan World Video behind the quality of Wrestle Union?" And then he puts a couple dots. I'm guessing he's talking about Wrestle Universe. Yeah, and,
1: uh, I think I I copied it weird because Reddit was being weird at the t- time of day when I was trying to get the questions in here.
0: I just thought he was being funny, <laughs> and uh, I, I honestly couldn't tell you, but it, it is a laughable joke that we've had the same app and the same website for this many years with no discernible quality increase in its entire time.
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy that, yeah, you look at Russell Universe and just the, the quality of their pay-per-views and their shows, and, yeah, New Japan World's been around for so long now, and, yeah, it's literally the same. Like, there's been no real improvement on the quality of their site. We still don't have a, you know, proper mobile app, uh... Yeah, it's crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that is gonna do it for the questions. And we have decided to take a break from Recommended Match of the Week and Excursion Match of the Week. We uh had those recommendations last week. We will get to them next week, but uh it's a lot of shows to cover, man. I just I don't got the time to jump into Ishii and Naito this week. Like maybe next week.
1: Yeah, yeah. Busy week. <laughs> we both had busy weekends. Um Having to celebrate our, our women as well And uh, busy with work and stuff like that So yeah And then yeah these New Japan Cup shows uh, Have been <laughs> one right after another So yeah we will uh, catch up on The recommended matches next week We'll also hopefully at some point Catch up on like you mentioned On uh, uh, Tamashi And yeah so, and hopefully soon we'll also have Robbie Eagles on the show So lots of great stuff to come But that's going to wrap up the show For this week And next week we'll be back to i review more New Japan Cup action. Talk about the finals of the tournament. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping the Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at ki KISTrongStyle. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook, facebook.com slash Social on Instagram at Suplex on Reddit you can follow me I'm the pro black guy you can follow Josh keeping it strong style email me jeremy at socialsuplex.com check out all the other shows that we have here on the social suplex podcast network 1Nation Radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd The Grave Consequences hosted by Caleb and Maserati All Things Elite hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Tomowitz The AEW Match Guide podcast hosted by Sir Sam Brown and The Great Match Generator hosted by Danny Kugler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy bond.
0: Unless Robbie decides not to come on the show, then we're not really itchy (laughs) bond. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you
1: next time.